Welcome to part two of the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit. Panel two, as we mentioned, uh, if you're listening, I imagine most of you will have just listened to part one of the podcast. As I mentioned, this podcast or this panel is filled with really the voices of St. Louis. Um, At the heart of this case really is this analysis of whether a St. Louis jury can remain impartial, whether a St. Louis jury is going to whack the NFL and the Rams and Kroenke over the head with a billion dollar judgment. So who else better to figure out the pulse of St. Louis than people that, you know, are living and breathing this case for years. We are fully transparent. We have not been on this beat, uh, you know, as long as these guys have. So there was a, there's a saying, right? You're only as smart as the people you surround yourself with. So, you know, we are not the experts on, on how this dealt, uh, how this was dealt with in St. Louis, how this affected the St. Louis market. So we had to bring in the heavy hitters, Brady Carricker, ESPN 101, Tim McKernan inside St. Louis, uh, Ben Albrighton uh, over at Denver. It does a lot of work with the Broncos, but born and raised in St. Louis has some connections as you're going to hear on this panel. I believe he's in, inferring to the Kroenke families. People in the chat were inferring that as well, but certainly a really bright guy. Uh, you know, he's very heavily followed on social media, even though he's not necessarily in the St. Louis market. He was born there. He did grow up there. Uh, and then last but not least, Derek King, uh, who, you know, he's been very, a uh, very adamant supporter of our podcast. Uh, and our work, kind of our media appearances. So here's a lesson to all of our listeners out there. If you retweet, like, reply, and message us really kind notes about the stuff that we do, we might decide to bring you on a panel at a town hall. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Derek, Derek has been following this lawsuit for years, and, and I stumbled across his content. When I do my radio hits, you know, about the St. Louis Rams lawsuit, I need to, you know, do a lot of research. So I'll look at, you know, uh, old interviews that that, uh, that Tim did, that Randy did, some old audio. Uh, I looked at a lot of Ben Fredrickson's articles. And then I stumbled across Derek King, who I, it's not, there's the same following level as the other guys, but his, his comments and his analysis of this lawsuit, I think is uh, very important, especially, right. You're trying to find a panel of reasonable men, right? He he's Derek King is a guy who's following this lawsuit very, very closely. So uh, that's the panel, Mike, you, you lived it, you breathed it. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the second panel before everyone hears the audio? Again, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing I, I said about panel number one. I mean, this went two hours, but it did not feel like it was two hours. I mean, um, Ben Albright came in just about halfway mark, and he came in with a wealth of information. I mean, he knows a ton about this area. Tim McKernan, again, same thing. He was on panel one and panel two, and, and you really can get a sense that these guys have their, you know, their ears to the ground here. They, they hear and know everything that's happening in the St. Louis market, so uh, it was it was one only right that we had them on, and two, I mean, it, they gave us so much more, uh, you know, in depth knowledge about what's happening in the St. Louis market as opposed to uh, what Jody Balsam and Andrew Brandt gave us on panel one as it comes to the you know the league side and the team side. So I, I was really glad that we had them all on, and I thought it was a great conversation uh, all around. I'm going to agree with you there. Our turnout was a little bit higher for the second panel. What I imagined would happen is people heard the first panel and they said, I got to get on for the second one. We had it at 10 Eastern time, nine central time at night. Uh, you know, again, behind the scenes, that's a little bit of a uh, planning around the, the Russian time zone difference. We got to find times that Dan and I are both going to be uh, up and at them. And uh, you know, I, I think the, the turnout was fantastic. Again, uh, as I mentioned on our, our first podcast, uh, part one, the things that you were not going to hear are the chat. Um, we had some great comments from the chat. It might be lost in translation of the audio, but uh, especially when we got to the quality of the Rams team, uh, people were in the chat were mentioning how, you know, the Rams team that was fielded in St. Louis for the last three, four years was garbage. 
you know, the, the people they drafted, the wide receiving core, they didn't have an offensive tackle to protect, to protect Bradford. That was really the voice of the fan, right? And I think that's important. You're going to hear the guys talk about it. But, um, you know, that's, that's certainly part of uh, Randy's perception of the case. Uh, he, he said he was going to put on his tinfoil hat for a second. But you'll understand why that's important. Um, so you guys as fans, again, they, these are important legal arguments, but the fans are addressing them. So you don't need to be a lawyer to understand this case. But uh, yeah, I thought everyone was fantastic. Tim stayed for the first hour and then Ben uh, seemingly replaced him. And then Randy uh, and Derek stayed the whole time. But you're going to hear that. I'll, I try to explain it on the podcast. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it best. I mean, the, the word to describe it is passion. There's just a certain passion when it comes to a fan base that you don't get with a surface level or even a deep dive level on this case, right? You can only talk about the violation of the relocation rule and the lawsuit so much and the knowledge and depth on that. But when it comes to a fan base, when you're diving and talking, you're diving in and you're talking to the St. Louis fan base, that's where we get this passion and that information and that desire to know more because you are so passionate. I mean, so to the same extent, just a reminder, you, we want to talk about passionate people. The sponsor of this podcast is Themis Bar Review. They're very dedicated uh, and passionate to get law students to pass the bar. I mean, that's their goal. They can get you through law school uh, with 1L and 2L outlines. They are a bar review company. Uh, we do have a special URL. It's themisbar.com forward slash con detrimental uh, for more information. Uh, and again, this podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. So don't want to bury the lead. If you guys are listening to this, it's A, because you love our podcast and you listen to all of our episodes, or B, you're a St. Louisan, as you heard me, I did practice that pronunciation, and you missed the panel because you have a life and you're not going to stay up at 10 o'clock at night and listen to this. But this is why podcasts were created, Mike. We want you to listen to this content at any point in time, while you're at the gym, while you're in the car, while you're in the run, and you don't have to listen to these crazy times that Dan and Dan put out, 10 in the morning, 9 o'clock at night. No, you can listen to this whenever you want. Without further ado, we will kick it. To panel number two. Dan and I are going to be playing a little bit of quarterback, a little bit of point guard, handing it to our, our lovely panelists on the panel from St. Louis. Um, but drop your questions directly in the chat to me, and Dan and I will kind of filter them directly to, um, directly to the panel. So that said, just give us a minute or two. We'll load up everybody on our spotlight, uh, and then uh, we'll get started. Dan, while we're loading everybody up, do you want to give us a brief rundown of the uh, big development today on, on uh, the discovery motion? All right. At uh, 2 p.m. Central, Judge McGraw held a hearing on uh, the city of St. Louis's motion for sanctions against four NFL owners, Jerry Jones, Clark Hunt, John Mara, and Robert Kraft. Uh, they were ordered to provide uh, personal financial information, uh, you know, so that the jury uh, would be able to make an assessment as to punitive damages. A couple of months ago, uh, I guess the judge made a preliminary determination that those kinds of records had to be produced in discovery and those four owners didn't produce much. Uh, and uh, I think John Mara didn't even know the net worth of the New York Giants. He had no idea how much money he was worth. He only owns one business. So uh, the, the NFL owners were non-compliant with the order and didn't really offer much in the way of an excuse during the, uh, during the hearing. So the judge socked them with a, a sanctions ruling, an order granting monetary sanctions, I think five to $8,000 per owner, the payment of reasonable attorney's fees, and most importantly, the judge set a contempt hearing, a civil contempt hearing for December 3rd, uh, so that if these four owners don't turn over financial documents between now and uh, December 3rd, then, then there's going to be a, a, a more severe sanction rendered. Uh, could be the striking of the pleadings, it could be the entry of a default judgment, but the NFL came into court yesterday 
really saying, Judge, um, you know, we, we were just getting started and he was having none of it. There was no good faith effort to at least comply in part. Uh, I, I think Mara had virtually nothing, two pages from Clark Hunt. By comparison, Stan Kroenke submitted 23,000 pages worth of financial information disclosure, and he was not the subject of the hearing, but it shows you the sort of the uh, opposite ends of the spectrum and the varying degrees of compliance. Uh, so four NFL owners basically thumbed their nose at the judge and they had to pay for it yesterday with the sanctions order being uh, imposed. And I have that posted on my Twitter account if you wanna see what the ruling uh, actually states. And the really cool quirk about state court is you get handwritten orders. So, um I have to say, uh, you know, I, I have to be a little bit mindful. I, uh, as, as you know, Dan, I used to work for the New York football giant. So when John Mara's name comes up, I got to, you know, I, I can't, uh, I'll let you do the heavy lifting here, but um, you know, it is what it is public record. Okay. Well, field so association. I, you know, you're, you're taking me down, Dan. It is what it is. Right. Um, okay. So uh, I think we have enough people here to start. Um, ben, uh, Ben Albright's going to join us um, at some point. Uh, let's see. Um, ben, uh, uh, ben, if you're on, just shoot me a, a DM and I'll, I'll get you in. Uh, ben, I think Ben's going to join an hour late. So, I think okay. Um, I don't think that's him. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's him. since. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not him. It's certainly not him. Um, <laughs> if you're going to do that, spell his name correctly, okay? That's the last thing. He got Dan. He got you. He got you. So he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, shout out to Ben Albright's. Uh, I'm not going to finish the rest. Okay. Um, so just by, by way of brief introduction, um, first of all, uh, my name is Dan Lust. Uh, and alongside Dan Wallach, we are the co-host of the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. I imagine a lot of you are familiar with us uh, from our, our trifecta series on the Rams uh, lawsuit. Um, Dan and I, we cover all things at the intersection of sports and law, and we kept hearing this. We, you know, we had a small contingency of our audience based in St. Louis, but people kept telling us that we should pay attention to the case. Uh, and Dan and I, I mean, I'll, I'll fess up to it. When I saw the Oakland case was dismissed, and obviously what's up on appeal, I'm like, you know, what's the St. Louis Rams case? I mean, isn't it going to just have the same fate of the Oakland case? And then when, once Dan and I started digging into it, we obviously had Jim Quinn in our podcast, the lawyer uh, for the city of Oakland we realized there were some really important differences between these two cases, such that the city of, you know, the St. Louis case, you know, probably has some more teeth, uh, at least, at least in our opinion. So um, in any event, we've dug in very deep uh, and we put out an SOS. We had uh, obviously, uh, you know, Ben Fisher of the uh, Sports Business Journal. Uh, we had Jim Quinn, the attorney for the city of Oakland. We had Ben Fredrickson, um, you know, from St. Louis. And then we said, you know what, there were so many people covering this that have been here far before us. And we just put out an SOS. We said, give us some names of people that have been covering this since day one. Uh, and the names that popped up, uh, you know, uh, Ben Fredrickson certainly did, Randy Carricker, Tim McKernan, and uh, Derek King, certainly. Um, you know, Derek is an independent, uh, independent news journalist over in St. Louis, but we want to cover all sides of this. The big, the big media covering it, and obviously the independent media. Ben Albright's going to join us as well, born and raised in St. Louis. Now he's over in Denver, but he's been covering it pretty heavily uh, out of the market. So, um, you know, everyone uh, is probably familiar with you three. I'm going to not talk that much, I promise. Um, but uh, I'm going to open this up. Randy, we'll start with you. Tim, Tim was on the panel with us this morning, so some people know his thoughts. Randy, uh, before we get into any particular questions, I just want to hear, and you have the floor for as long as you want it, uh, your, your kind of overall thoughts on this lawsuit, where it's been and where it's going. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I think there's a misperception, and probably among this panel, it's not there. 
but nothing in this case is about the dome lease. Everything involved with this case, case starts on that summer day in 2013, the first day of Rams training camp when Stan Kroenke called Kevin Demoff and said, hey, I've got the perfect piece of land to build a stadium. So for those that want to talk about the dome lease and the arbitration in the lease, and by the way, NFL uh, attorneys have been admonished in court because they've talked about it, and Judge McGraw has had to say, hey, this isn't about the dome lease. Uh, this isn't about that. It's not about getting another team in St. Louis. And it's really, from its inception, it wasn't about the money either. What this is about is the fact that on the way out the door, St. Louis got ripped in the relocation proposal by Stan Kroenke and the Rams. And a couple of guys, Bob Blitz and Dave Peacock, who formed the St. Louis Stadium Task Force, literally spent a year of their lives, and Dave with a young family, uh, spent a year of their lives uh, trying to get a stadium built. The stadium was an actionable plan. The NFL brought Eric Grubman to St. Louis on multiple occasions to talk to Dave Peacock and Bob about uh, advancing the stadium. They got it to where the NFL wanted it, and then the NFL started moving the goalposts in late 2015. Uh, and as, it's, as is mentioned in the lawsuit, the Rams and the NFL knew that the plaintiffs were spending vast amounts of time and money and encouraged the commitment through misrepresentations regarding the process because they already knew that it was a done deal that the Rams were going to leave. Uh, the other part of this that I, I think we need to note, and I know that there is a lot of enthusiasm on the part of a lot of people here in regards to the Rams getting, or St. Louis getting another team. I talked to one of the attorneys for uh, this suit yesterday, and St. Louis has not heard from the NFL regarding any sort of a, uh, a settlement and what I was told is that, A, no settlement would occur until after a trial, no settlement at least involving a team would occur until after a trial is held, but it was described to me as pie in the sky, and that if there was indeed a plan to build a stadium, build a practice facility, bring a team here, find an owner, that the St. Louis interests would want it in writing that if anything, any detail went wrong, in getting from point A to point Z and getting a, a stadium built and getting a team here that the, the agreement would revert to the judgment by the jury. And so it, it was the idea of another NFL team in St. Louis was described to me as a, a pie in the sky thought by one of the people closest to this, this lawsuit. Um. You know, so I'll, I'll, I'll guess I'll open it up. Randy, you obviously said a lot. We'll get to it all. And uh, just to make in some notes as to, as to what you're saying. Um, Tim, we heard from you earlier. We'll go to Derek first, and then, Tim, uh, you're, you're on deck. Derek, your overall thoughts. I know you've been following us very closely. Uh, yeah, and again, what uh, Randy had said, thank you for having me on. It's a great honor and privilege to be on with all of you. Uh, you know, from a fan's perspective, and this is, this is how I follow it a lot, from a fan's perspective, boots on the ground whenever I talk to people daily about this particular subject matter. It's either feast or it's famine. But I do believe that there is a heartfelt desire to have potentially another team back in the city. But I think most people are knowledgeable enough of the fact that they will acknowledge that, hey, there has to be certain parameters that have to be met in order for that to happen. 
personally, on my perspective, I look at the entire thing and I say, hey, listen, billions of dollars, that's great. Uh, you know, if there's a situation where you can get money and maybe potentially a team, that's good too. But the reality of the situation is, is that this has so many different levels to it that it, I want to say that we get a team. That's what I want to say. I'd like to say that. I'd like to tell everybody what they want to hear. But in order to get to that place, I mean, look at what we just experienced today, the contentiousness in the courtroom. What's the relationship between those lawyers? I will reiterate what Randy said. Yes, I've heard the same thing that he's heard. There has not been any discussions between the NFL and St. Louis. Now, we've heard the rumors out of expansion team. I mean, we heard for years the rumors on chargers and everything else in between. I just feel from a fan's perspective, when we see these polls that are put out and we see 68% are in favor, uh, you know, 72%, whatever it is, that's a very skewed number because a majority of those people in those polls say, yes, I would like to have only an expansion team. And then some of those people on that positive side say, yeah, but I would take an expansion team plus money or I want to, I want a stadium. There's a lot of variables to those numbers and I get the excitement with people, but we also want to be able to keep people grounded in reality and say, Hey, listen, let's look at this thing from the best angle, the best perspective that we can, and let's go forward from there. Um, well said, uh, Tim, just for opening thoughts. And then uh, I have some more kind of tailored comments. And I'm sure Dan will have as well. Go ahead, Tim. That's no, great to be on with, uh, with Randy, who I uh, don't get a chance to see all that often, sir. Wonderful to see you and Good Derek. You uh, uh, great to be on with you and, and Dan and Dan. Uh, great to see you guys again. You, you and can just call us Dan singular. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> like deer. Uh, I will. Exactly. I, I, I want to make sure that I say to those people watching tonight who weren't watching earlier today, how I, I, I would imagine Randy and Derek feel the same, but I, I certainly will speak on, on my behalf. And I think others in St. Louis who are just grateful that finally people outside of St. Louis are talking about a story that we've been talking about here for years. And it seems like now that people are talking about it, albeit certain members of the media still not discussing it nationally, uh, that a lot of people in the country are starting to, to pay attention. Jerry Jones was on the, the Cowboys rights holder station two weeks ago, and one of the hosts asked him about it. And I'm sure Jerry Jones was not expecting that. So it's starting to make its way into the mainstream and your guys' podcast and all of your social media activity has played a role in that and bringing this story nationally, whereas Randy, Derek, and others locally have been covering it for, for years now. So I'm, I think a lot of people in St. Louis are grateful for the work you guys are doing. So, uh, uh, Tim, you know this. I have a two-year-old daughter. In the words of the great Maui, what can I say except you're welcome? <laughs> so um, certainly it's our pleasure. We, we cover all these really big lawsuits. We covered the Big Ten stuff very closely. As you can see on our feeds, we're covering the John Gruden stuff very closely. But this is a case that, that needed to be covered. Um, and not because it's a case asking for a big number, because there are real teeth here, right? And even if it's, uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this a lot, even if the end game, and I think Randy, you said, and this is to my first question, right? Even if it's the pie in the sky of this expansion team, okay, let's say you don't get an expansion team at the end of the day. St. Louis is still putting the NFL, their feet to the fire. That's a story in and of itself. And I know for a lot of St. Louis, you know, guys, is it St. 
St. Louisans? What, how do I say St. Louisans? Well done, yes. St. Yeah. Louisans, okay. Um, listen, I, I did my research here, okay? I did my, uh, my YouTube <laughs> pronunciations. Um, but, you know, I, I think some people, not everybody, uh, just want to, you know, see their, their pound of flesh. They don't want an NFL team here anymore, right? They, you know, it's almost like a divorce. The NFL doesn't want you for whatever reason that they're ready to move on, but they're ready to see uh, some of these truths exposed. And no better place to do it than under oath, under the bright lights of, of a trial. And, you know, uh, again, this, I'm not saying anything so, so big. The, the biggest hurdle that the St. Louis case had to survive was summary judgment. Uh, summary judgment is the last battle. It's when discovery is done. If you file for summary judgment early in the case, it's going to get denied on a premature basis, right? Discovery is done at this point. And so all, all of the cards are on the table. And, and the judge said, no, I think this is up for a jury to decide. So whether you agree with the judge or not, whether you think this is going to go up an appeal or not, this is barreling towards a trial date. Could the NFL settle? Sure. Um, but we're still making our way there. So here's my first question. I'll open it up uh, to the panel, guys. Dan and I have been pretty vocal. Not that we are predicting a 33rd NFL franchise, but uh, economically, Dan has had this point. Jim Quinn, the lawyer for the city of Oakland, who is certainly kind of biased, right, for his case. I'm sure he'd love for Oakland to offer him an expansion team. But economically, you know, uh, as someone, I worked in insurance defense and risk management for, for years. It's all about risk exposure, risk management. And we're talking very candidly, if this goes to a jury uh, of, uh, you know, people from St. Louis in front of a St. Louis judge and you get past the liability phase of the trial, which Dan and I will talk about. There's the liability phase, which is what, you know, St. Louis felt how they were grieved, right? Did the NFL do something wrong? And then that, once that trial is over, that portion of the trial, then you move to the damages phase. How much you know, is should St. Louis be compensated? So, you know, assuming you could win the liability phase, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about here, then, I mean, a St. Louis jury could write a blank check, right? They could write a blank check for a lot of money. So does the NFL want to risk that? If St. Louis lawyers, they're certainly not going to want to settle after the liability phase is done. Then they're kind of licking their chops. They're salivating at the mouth of how much money they could get. So the time is kind of now for the NFL to kind of conjure up a settlement. If they win on the liability phase, congrats. There's no settlement coming. They're, they're going to go for, you know, they're going to go for it. But, you know, we see, keep seeing time and time again, St. Louis keeps winning battles in this court, right? Judge McGraw's court is, you know, for better or for worse, it's home cooking. So, uh, I, I, you know, you have to predict uh, that they like their chances at trial. So let me, let me ask uh, you guys as a floor. I know, Randy, you said it. Your thoughts. Um, I know uh, that, you know, maybe you haven't heard that they're talking settlement. I wouldn't think that they were with an expansion team. But don't you think that concept kind of makes sense, right? Why risk getting hit with billions of dollars in damages? Where hypothetically, and to Derek's point, maybe a hybrid, you get paid some, some amount of money, some amount of money in the millions, which is, you know, I think pocket change to these owners. But there's a representation that you're going to get an expansion franchise. And mind you, the expansion team, right, there's an expansion uh, payment or relocation payment. That's money that actually goes into the NFL. So don't you, don't you think that kind of concept uh, in a vacuum makes sense economically? Well, it certainly would act as a deterrent. And ultimately, St. Louis would like other cities to not have to deal with what St. Louis dealt with. And th this lawsuit, in part, is in place as a deterrent for the NFL to not do this to other cities. Yes, there's no doubt that from a league standpoint, it might be cheaper for them to put an expansion team in St. Louis. But I think there's a couple of issues that they have to deal with. Number one, there's an extraordinary level of distrust among St. Louis politicians, Missouri politicians, St. Louis corporate leaders in dealing with the NFL. There is no more respected businessman in St. Louis 
than Dave Peacock. He was the president of Anheuser-Busch, uh, and, and right now Enterprise is the biggest company in town. The level of distrust between the leadership of St. Louis and the NFL would be a huge hurdle for the league to overcome. And I think the other issue is they have to look inward. You're going to have to have 24 owners vote to expand, and you're going to have to have teams say, like Buffalo or like Washington, okay, go ahead and build St. Louis a stadium for two or two and a half billion dollars, and we'll continue pounding our head against the wall with our governments in New York State in the case of the Bills or in Washington, D.C. in the case of the Washington football team. If you're an owner of an NFL team and you're fighting tooth and nail every day to try to get another stadium built, how do you feel about the league, which makes two years ago made $15 million, Roger Goodell wants it to be a $25 billion a year industry. How do you feel about the league building a stadium and gifting it to St. Louis? And then once you get there, who runs that stadium? Who profits from that stadium? Who sets up Final Fours for that stadium? I just think there are so many hurdles to overcome from the NFL side and from St. Louis's side. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it would be really difficult. So my, my response there, and I'll leave, leave this to Tim and Derek to, to either agree with me, disagree with me. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. You know, in, in, the, in the NFL and, and why we're here, right, these NFL relocation guidelines were created in 1999 in a response to the Cleveland relocation over to Baltimore and obviously Houston's relocation over to Tennessee. And what do you know? Those are the next two NFL franchises. They found a way to replace that team in the market. The Cleveland Browns were replaced by Cleveland Browns. Houston Texans or Houston Oilers were replaced by the Houston Texans. So, you know, they found a way to make it work the nfl made it a purpose to get back in those markets and people ask hey why all of a sudden is it city of oakland right suing the nfl why is st louis suing the nfl because for whatever reason we had jim quinn on our podcast who has talked to um economists who is much smarter than dan and i who have said you could have 48 nfl teams and make even more money that 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 that's the amount of demand for football in our country that you really could do that now for whatever reason the nfl has stopped expansion in the last 20 years since we've had the houston texans I don't know if 32 is a good number. I'm sure you could have uh, a number like, I don't know, 34 and have 17 in the AFC, have 17 in the AFC, or go up to 36. Certainly the NBA is talking about expansion for all the money they lost during the pandemic, talking about Vegas or even going back to Seattle, which has had their own issues with the NBA. You certainly could do it. Um, why the NFL is not doing it, and then I'll, I'll give it to you guys, Tim and Derek. You know, the economists are basically saying the NFL has figured out this trick here. You don't allow other expansion teams and you could charge more and more for those relocation fees. And the NFL has figured it out, hey, let's depress the, the, the amount of teams out there and let's all collect a bigger paycheck. Um, you know, just, just economists reporting this out there. I have no reason to think they're wrong. So, Tim, Derek, with, with that in mind, um, do, do you think there's a world where the next the NFL just says, you know what? I don't know. Independent of this lawsuit, St. Louis is a great market. Why wouldn't we put a team there? Tim, I'll let you take the lead on that one. Well, I think, you know, Randy, I don't know what you're hearing when you guys are talking about it on your show. We, when, we, when I was on earlier with uh, Dan, uh, plural, uh, I told him we're getting about 75% say they would like to see St. Louis get an NFL team. Um, is, is that consistent with what the kind of numbers you guys, when you put a poll out there, I saw Michelle put a poll out there yeah. the other day. Yeah, it's about the same, 70 75%. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if the NFL would, would want to do business with St. Louis. And then speaking to what Randy's point is, I don't know if some key people in St. Louis, you know, it's one thing if it's 75% of fans, but the key players in St. Louis would want to do business 
with the NFL, whether you want to talk about politicians, whether you want to talk about corporate sponsors, and then the elements uh, that would be muddy with regards to the stadium. Because I think on the St. Louis end, if it's going to happen, then the NFL would be bankrolling the building of the stadium and the practice facility. So it's not as simple as would you like an NFL team? I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice question to ask, and I've certainly asked that. But there are so many elements that are nuanced that require a thorough discussion to play the handout uh, as opposed to just simply would you like an NFL team? But as Randy said, there's certainly some trust issues. And I think we have people in power who just don't want to go to bat for sports in St. Louis. And, and Tim, uh, Derek, I apologize. I just want to give you 15 seconds here. One other factor here is that the two most philanthropic and most visible companies in St. Louis, Enterprise and Worldwide Technology, are owners of a new MLS team. They're building a stadium in downtown St. Louis, and they're also part owners of the Blues. I have to believe that the owners of those franchises wouldn't want to cannibalize those franchises with an NFL team here competing for corporate dollars. You know, I would have to agree with you guys on a lot of that standpoint because where's the hunger now from these corporate leaders? You know, the Purinas, the Enterprise, the Worldwide Technologies, so on and so forth, Budweiser, so on and so forth. I know we, the Budweiser still has a lot of affiliation with the NFL, but just, you know, Ed Jones, all of those people that had affiliations at that time when the Rams were saying, hey, we're doing everything we can to stay here. If we stay here, will you guys buy in? You know, they did all that. They trusted them. They trusted the NFL. They trusted the organization, and they flat out lied. They defrauded these people, and these people are multimillionaires and billionaires, too. You don't think that they don't sniff it out. Now, just from, again, from my angle, and I try to play devil's advocate on both sides of, the, of that court, and I say, okay, what would it take to get to win that trust back? Where, what, at what point, where do we have to go as the NFL, where do we have to go or what, where would a potential owner of a team in St. Louis have to go to win that trust back to, to get to that point and say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do this right. First off, you got to have an owner that's local. You got to have a, a person who is bought in, signed, sealed, delivered to this market that, you know, Hey, this is the guy, this is the gal, whoever it is and say, this is the person that we can get behind, that we can rally behind, and that we can trust that's going to do the right thing. Secondly, that person has to have the monetary capability to be able to swing something like this. You're also talking about land. Where does that go? I know, Tim, on your guys' show, you guys have discussed it almost daily to a certain extent, you know, Maryland Heights, maybe it's Bridgeton Hazelwood area by the Old Mills Mall. You know, there's a lot of different areas that have been discussed and talked about and theorized. But until Penn gets put to paper and we find some particular way to get these people all on the same page, that's where the key is. I'll go back to something that I read in one of your threads earlier in the day, Randy, where you were talking about 1993, the expansion process with the Stallions, everything that happened after that, and saying, hey, you're on a plane, you're flying out of Chicago, and you're like, our, our only shot is the Rams here. We got to go for what we can get and do, and do what we can. And I remember hearing a story from several people over the years that at, there was a point in time where St. Louis leadership, after they built the Dome and lost out on the Stallions and everything else that happened, they're 
they basically go to, to Buzz Westfall County Executive or, and uh, St. Louis Mayor at the time, Friedman Bosley Jr. and whoever else, and they just like, get a team. We don't care what you got to do. We don't care what it takes. Get a team. And that's why when the Rams came in in 95, and, and there's some people that are pretty savvy to that and understand and know what happened there. That's why that sweetheart lease was created. That's why everything happened. It goes back to finding someone. And Stan Kroenke, we thought we could trust. Let us not forget the, the interviews that he did. I'm a Missourian. I can be trusted. Everybody knows that I'm a Missouri guy. And it was all a flim flam. It, it was all make believe. And in order to do that, you got to have somebody here that people can rally behind and trust. I think that's the key factor to having a successful potential settlement of a team. Um, okay. So uh, Dan, do you have anything? Cause I, I have one, uh, one question for these, for these uh, lovely crew here. Go right ahead. Um, so I have, I have noticed, uh, I don't think it's the real Kevin Demoff, but there is a Kevin Demoff who has joined the Zoom chat. <laughs> um, Kevin, you are not getting called up on screen, just like the fake Ben Albright. <laughs> I know it's not you guys. So, um, okay. Um, so I did, uh, you know, um, I, I'm coming to the story, obviously, Dan is a new, right? You guys have been following us for years and that's why we have you guys on. We don't, you know, we don't profess to know everything, but we know, uh, we know what we don't know. Um, the names that kept coming up to me over and over, in addition to Silence Dan Kroenke, which I've done my research on why you guys call him that, which totally respect. Um, the name that kept coming up over and over, coincidentally, is Kevin Demoff, who questionably might be here listening, probably not. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I've done my research on him. Uh, I know, um, you know, we had Ben on our Ben Fredrickson on our show talking about the professional liar headline, and and uh, you know, obviously, Derek, you guys are getting to it. From the liability standpoint of this case, um, it comes down a lot, a lot to the deception element, and I think that's kind of why. Uh, city of St. Louis felt the need to bring this lawsuit at the end of the day, because they felt scorned, right? They felt like they were lied to. Um, and I think totally fair, right? I think going back and forth, once the lease of the stadium became year to year, I think everyone kind of saw the writing on the walls. And if I think if Kroenke had just said, you know what, guys, that's it. Uh, I'm moving. I'm leaving. There's nothing contractually. And I mean this, but you know, there's nothing that binds him automatically to the city of St. Louis, but he has to go through the proper steps and whatnot. But it's a matter of, uh, you know, as Tim said on his show, which we, we talked about this morning, right? There is no secret plan. I think that's the sour taste in people's mouth. I think that's that fraud element. I think that's the negotiating in bad faith. I think that's the, you know, uh, Kroenke registering the Rams as a Los Angeles company, the comments to Jeff Fisher. Those, those are the comments that I think people need to hear. Um, I'll open it up to the floor. Um, here's the topic. Kevin Demoff's role in this and his potential trial testimony. Any, anybody can take the floor. I think Kevin Demoff uh, has, is right there with Kroenke as far as most disliked from this whole thing. And if I'm not mistaken, Randy, uh, much of the audio that has been used in court uh, comes from appearances on, on the fast lane on mm -hmm. 101 ESPN. Um, and I believe there is no secret plan came from an interview that he was doing when I was hosting a show with former Cardinal center fielder, Jim Edmonds. And I had him on and, you know, I told him in advance of the interview, I said, this is going, I'm not an attorney, but this is going to be more like a cross examination than a friendly little interview. So just know that this is coming. And, you know, he, he uttered those words and this was in 2014 as we all know here, but for those listening and watching the land purchase was made in 2013. So this is after the fact. And in 2014, he said, there is no secret plan. Uh, Randy, I think one of the reasons why people hold him in uh, such low esteem locally 
is because of what Dan just said. You know, it's one thing if, if Kroenke, for example, had said, you know, St. Louis, this is on St. Louis. We would have stayed, but they didn't meet our, our needs, so we're moving out. Instead, even though Demoff's an employee, he had Demoff out there. I don't know what the reasoning was. I guess it was to maximize revenue while they were here. I, I really have no idea. And they were so brazen, they thought they could get away with it. Uh, like when they did the interview with Sam Farmer the night of the vote in Houston, basically telling everybody how they executed the hit, uh, which is now being used against them. I think it was the brazen nature that they thought they would never be held accountable for what they were doing. But for the life of me, I don't know why they went out and talked. I get why Kroenke was silent stand. It was the smart thing to do, but he still is Demoff's boss. And he allowed Demoff to run around and do all these interviews with me and Randy and all over the place. And his words are the words that are being used against him. We don't have to say it. It's his words. And he knew what was going on truthfully. There was a secret plan. The thing is, we all knew it going on. What were the things that he said to you, Randy, that, that stand out as being like the most you know, blatant lies over the years? Well, a, a couple that stand out are, I, asked, uh, I guess in 2015 during that season, well, yeah, it was the, uh, it, it, no, it was 2014 because it was 15th anniversary of the Super Bowl championship. And I said, do you expect this team to be here in 2017? And he said, we fully expect to be here in 2017. Again, as Tim said, the land had already been purchased. He, as it turns out, because he told his friends at Harvard Westlake, had already been charged with getting the votes to move the franchise. Yet he's coming on the flagship station's uh, number one show and saying, we fully expect to be here in 2017. And our goal is to build a winning franchise. And the other things that stand out to me are a couple of different, because I was a, a charter season ticket holder, a couple of different season ticket holder events, one in 2014, because it came out in January of 2014 that Kroenke had purchased the land. Early in the 2014 season, uh, he's at a t season ticket holder event, and he's asked about the piece of land that Kroenke has purchased, and he said, this would be a terrible piece of land to put a football stadium on. When now we know that Kroenke had told him this is the perfect place to put a football stadium. And then in another event, when asked if the team was going to move, and this was June of 2015, and I was at this one too, he was asked about it and he said, there's a one in a million chance that this franchise is going to move. And then two months later, he was in Chicago presenting the stadium plans that uh, <laughs> the, the, the franchise had to move to L.A. Um, so, we, oh, go ahead, Derek. I was just going to kind of add on to what both Tim and Randy said, because from, again, uh, this is fans' perspective, and being on the outside of that looking in, I remember when the whole process was kind of going on during that period. I remember making phone calls to, to friends and family members and kind of belly aching, if you will. Can you believe this scoundrel, this rat? He's on radio, and he's – He's telling everybody about how he's not going to move the team. And you wanted to, you kind of wanted to believe it because he was that sleazy. It was just that slimy, it seemed to me, that it was just like, okay, you're expecting us to believe. And here's what got me, right? You know, I'll use a phrase. This is what got my goat. And, and what got me was the fact that he came on the fast lane and he looked Randy square in the face and told him, hey, we're, we're going to be here. We're going to be here in 2015. We're going to be here in 2020. We're going to be here in 2025 and beyond. 
there's, you know, he told Tim, there's no secret plan. What are you talking about? What are there's no, there, you know, so again, go back to Randy's interview. Stan's looking at all sorts of properties all over the world. I don't dwell into his uh, real estate dealings. I mean, it, you know, it, when we started to hear that, we're just like, the smoke started to roll and we were, we just knew at that stage, Hey, listen, there's something fishy here. Something's up. And it's just, you can't be trusted. Our hope was, Hey, the NFL is going to look at this situation and go, you know what? You guys don't meet the criteria. You, you, we can't move. You don't meet any of things in the guidelines and rules 4.3 or beyond. And so the fact is you can't move, but what we didn't know, was at that time and probably earlier that they were planning this together all along, that they were working together in tandem, hand in hand. We've had the emails between Demoff and Roger Goodell's office. We have those things that say, hey, uh, this story's gotten out about the land purchase. What do we do about it? You know, what, what do you want to say? When those types of things come out now in hindsight and we look at it and go, Holy smokes, how rotten was this from the very onset? And that is where I do not blame anyone for their approach to this process and saying, you know what? I hate the NFL. I can't stand them. I don't want them back. I completely understand. And I get those people's perspective. That being said, as you could see behind me, I've been a football fan for 35 plus years. I've been watching the game. I, I, I was I was a big red guy. I accepted the Rams, but, you know, I grew up with the big red. And the fact of the matter is, is that I would accept another team, too. I, I know that sounds to some people. Well, how could you do that? But if it was the right circumstances, the right situation, the right people, the right scenario, I would definitely jump on board with another potential team in the market. And by the so, way, Dan, Dan, to your point, and I want to ask Tim and Derek about this because I feel this way. And you mentioned this. If they would have just come out and said, look, we want to move to the second biggest market. Uh, St. Louis doesn't hold up. We just want to do business there. We don't want to do business in St. Louis anymore. If they would not have led St. Louis on and sent Grubman to St. Louis to negotiate with the task force and uh, had Goodell go on and uh, at Super Bowl press conferences say St. Louis just needs to keep doing what they're doing. If they would have just been obstinate about it and said, hey, St. Louis is the 22nd market. LA is the second market. It's business. If they would have done that, I would be much more accepting. And I don't think that we'd be sitting here talking about a lawsuit today. I agree with that. I completely agree. agree. Which, which then gets me to, I don't know what the angle was unless it was, we just need to maximize while we're here. But, but then, then it gets to, and I'm curious speaking to Dan uh, <laughs> uh, I caught. I caught what you did there. Go ahead. That that is is what the three of us, and I know a lot of people in St. Louis watching this, that drives them up the wall, and how Kevin Demoff is really cited oftentimes uh, more than Stan Kroenke because he was the voice and the face, because Kroenke's voice and face was unavailable. Um, is it relevant to what is going on? in downtown St. Louis now. So this is something that I'm curious for your opinion, or is this just something that we continue to tell stories about, but from a legal standpoint, it's really irrelevant. What is your opinion on that? 
certainly relevant. Um, before I get to that, I just want to mention some comments in the crowd. Matt, Matt Franklin said that Kevin Demoff liked lying so much, he wrote a question in the chat, uh, that he lied to him at a fan event about, uh, about the same exact thing. And I guess yeah. a, a friend of mine, uh, Bernie Miklas, I've been on his show a couple of times. Uh, there's a similar story that one of the, the, uh, someone in the, the chat mentioned. So um, yeah, I mean, Tim, to your point, this is, this, this is the allegation and I'm going to uh, you know, tee it up to Dan in a minute. Um, so here, here's the thing, right? There's an allegation here of negotiating in bad faith. What does that mean? It means, you know, um, I, you know let's say I, you know, what I like to do, and we do it on the podcast a lot, I like to take it out of this context and put it in another context. Ready? So we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, the Major League Baseball back and forth between the Players Union uh, and Rob Manfred. And there's a, right now an allegation, a $500 million grievance in, you know, that they're going to fight over in baseball about whether Rob Manfred negotiated in bad faith with the Players Union. So what happened there? You know, they were fighting how many games should be played, how much should play players be paid during the pandemic. We weren't really sure what that amount should be. So that argument went on for about 60 days. And by the end of it, there was basically no season left to have. And the owners kind of won because they got a really short season. And they were asking for a season for less games because they thought they were going to lose all this money because there was no gate and no concessions and merchandise, all that stuff. Rob Manford goes on the radio made a, in a really dumb appearance. Dan and I made a lot of fun of him. He went at Dan Patrick's show and he said that no matter how the negotiations went with the players, it was always going to be at whatever it was, 60 games or 48 games. No matter how the negotiations went, it was always going to be 48 games. That's an example of negotiating in bad faith because it, you just said it didn't matter what they said. You were always right. going to make it 48 games. So, Kind of, right? Damoff is lying through his teeth. You know, you have Grubman, which we haven't spoke about. I have a separate chapter for Grubman. But you have everybody kind of running interference, right? Did it, did it matter? But here's the question, which you guys both raised. What was the point, right? Um, and we, right. We, we raised this on the earlier panel. I think it kind of in a strange way, and, and Tim, you brought it up, like the Sam Bradford era, the Nick Foles era of, of, the, of the St. Louis Rams, those teams that were kind of below par – maybe kind of help their argument because it helps show that, hey, the, you know, hey, I, I mean, not that I'm making the point, but that, hey, the, the numbers aren't where they used to be. This is maybe evidence of a declining market in St. Louis. We should be able to go. That's what 4.3 of the guidelines say, that if you don't have a robust fan support, you don't have a you know, robust market, you should be able to leave. But to Tim and Randy, your point, right? Like, I don't know, were you, were you trying to just maximize the amount of revenue from a kind of like depressed Fan market? I don't know. It, it just some something doesn't add up, right? Um, right. But in, in essence, I don't. I don't even think you need the lies. You know, maybe playing devil's advocate. I don't think you need the lies from Demoff and Grubman. I think you can go back as early as 2010 uh, and 2012. The comments that are made to Jeff Fisher and the comments that are, you know, uh, I think you can just look at the piece of paper that uh, you know Kroenke filed and registering the Rams as a Los Angeles corporation. Certainly, he didn't need to do it. Dan and I registered our podcast as a Florida corporation. We don't really have any ties to Florida. Dan is legitimately in, in Novosibirsk, Russia. I'm in New York, but you know, Dan's <laughs> got his his place over in Florida. So you don't need to do that. But you know, it's just it's just evidence. You know, maybe one thing in isolation doesn't necessarily add up. But time and time again, right? You just kind of look back in hindsight, like, was there ever any truth to this? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, guys, uh, you know, Demoff, um, I, I know it's just, I, I keep people getting my, my comments about Demoff. It, it just seems like, and obviously he still has a job. People talk about Roger Goodell. Hey, did Roger Goodell do a good job with, you know, just in life? And I go, well, his job is to be a, a punching bag and to take the, uh, to shield the blame from the owner. So in that sense, Roger Goodell's doing a great job because everybody hates Roger Goodell. So maybe that's Kevin Demoff's job, right? Maybe Stan Kroenke just said, go out there and take all the punches, take all the bullets so I don't have to. And in that sense, hate to say it, but maybe Demoff is doing a good job, certainly still employed. So, I mean, uh, there's that. Um, uh, Dan, go ahead. I'll turn it to you. 
You're on mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. Uh, you know, during the time prior to the, you know, uh, relocation decision, there were a series of town halls and public meetings uh, that were held in St. Louis ostensibly for the purpose of allowing the city of St. Louis to make its case and for, for the Rams to sort of provide an open forum. Can you walk us through what these meetings were like and the tone and, and, and you know, what was said at these meetings to give you either optimism, false hope, or, uh, you know, I, I just want to be in the room and, and get a sense of whether these were legitimate bona fide or whether it was just a dog and pony show. <laughs> dog and pony show all day long. But Randy was the star of the one in St. Louis. I was driving from, I think, Los Angeles to San Diego, listening to the one in St. Louis, so I could be in attendance at the one in San Diego the next night, I believe. And then I flew up to Oakland after the one in San Diego. And interestingly enough, by the way, speaking to what Randy said about St. Louis would have been more accepting of the Rams saying, we're just going to go and perhaps pointing some of the blame at St. Louis. Uh, if Dean Spanos or Stan Kroenke, Dan would have gotten on stage in an introduction at the St. Louis town hall or the San Diego town hall, they would have been booed off the stage. Well, I'm sitting at the Paramount theater in downtown Oakland in October of 2015 and out of nowhere, you know, like a surprise appearance at a concert, they introduce Mark Davis and he comes out on stage and the, the crowd goes crazy cheering for him. So even though they knew that the Raiders may be moving, and of course they, they would a couple years later, they loved Mark Davis and what he represented. But in San Diego and St. Louis, Dean Spanos and Stan Kroenke, you know, are persona non grata. Um, but yes, I believe the NFL guidelines we speak of, they had to do these town halls. So they were just checking boxes. They meant absolutely nothing. I listened to the one Randy spoke at in St. Louis. I attended the ones in San Diego and Oakland. They said the exact same thing. We want to stay in this market. We're committed to this market. And guess what? They're out of all three markets. And if I could have bet that moment, I would have parlayed it right then and there. <laughs> Grubman was a slithering into each building that he entered. The man doesn't walk, he slithers, and it was very obvious from the moment you saw him, period. So uh, I guess echoing that, this is, we'll, we'll make this our, our Grubman chapter at this point. Now, um, I don't know, uh, now, I guess now you guys know why we call this the town hall, a little bit of tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, we're, we're taking back the term. Well, this will be a real town hall. People, people could talk, I see the questions in the crowd. You know, here's the thing, Tim, you, you bring this up. Uh, why were they checking boxes if they didn't need to check boxes? Exactly. This really wasn't a binding contract. That's the question that I think has troubled Dan and I. Why go through all this motion if you really didn't think you had to? Uh, and we had, uh, you know, of course, in our podcast, we've discussed it. You know, I think Jerry Jones has comments out there from his deposition testimony that he didn't think this was worth anything. He didn't think he had to file the guidelines. So uh, someone has marching orders to Eric Grubman, who at the time is the you know, vice president of the NFL, I guess you got to go all these town halls. You got to let the fans speak up. So why would the NFL put themselves through this exercise, which makes them look horrendous in hindsight? And I think a lot of the visceral and a lot of the hate that, you know, I'm seeing in the chat, I'm seeing on Twitter, I'm seeing elsewhere is because they went through these motions. Why on God's earth would you go through these motions and have a town hall if you didn't actually have to? So that's the question, right? Actions speak louder than words. And I think the question, and, and we're going to talk, um, you know, we talked about it on the podcast, we'll certainly talk about it here. There's a question as to whether 4.3 of the NFL, you know, this relocation policy that was created, mind you, and I, I kind of buried it before, in 1999 to kind of protect these home markets. It was to protect, right, the people in Cleveland that were scared of, of franchise relocation, protect the people in Houston. And 
you know, that's, that's the backdrop for why these guidelines were created. So I don't know. I don't know why else you create them, right? Uh, it's you're a public facing entity. You made those things go out to the public. So they're, they're certainly aware of them. Now the question becomes this, if the guidelines didn't matter and they weren't worth the paper they were on, right? You know, you have people in the city of Buffalo that might be a little concerned today. You have people in the city of Jacksonville that might be concerned today. So that's why, you know, now outside of St. Louis, why we think the story, and for the people that aren't in St. Louis listening to this right now, why we think the story is relevant to every single NFL market, every market that you could go to and every market that you're in right now. We had Jim Quinn on our show, and he essentially called the NFL a cartel because you're mm -hmm. holding like two people hostage. You're holding, at least in his case, the city of Oakland hostage, and you're holding, you know, Las Vegas or really any other market that can take a team because you could drive up the price to, you know, uh, infinity, right? It's really whatever you want to charge. So, you know, 4.3 of the guidelines essentially says, uh, and I see it a lot of comments in the chat, which, you know, I, people are saying that the Rams drafted pretty terribly in those years with Greg Zerline and Sam Bradford, which I don't know, Bradford was a good college player. I thought he was going to be solid, but um, you know, that's, that's the sentiment. Um, so guys, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to ask it, but do you think there was a real uh, effort by the team to put a uh, kind of subpar product on the field to, uh, because of 4.3, because they couldn't have good fan support? Is that possible? If there is a level of brilliance about the Rams in this move, that's the only one. They finished with the worst record in the league, drafted Sam Bradford with the first pick in 2010. They never had a left tackle to protect him. They took Jason Smith in 2009, determined on the very first day of minicamp that he couldn't play left tackle in the NFL. He lasted three years with the Rams, four years in the league, and he was gone. They signed a used-up Jake Long to play left tackle. He, they had Barry Richardson playing left tackle, to trying to protect Sam Bradford. And then they took... Greg Robinson, who was an Auburn guy, less need, an Auburn guy, but he, he couldn't play. So they never protected him, and they never got a number one wide receiver for him. Then they get to L.A., and they sign Andrew Whitworth, and they get Sammy Watkins, and they get Brandon Cooks, and they draft Cooper Cup, and all of a sudden, they've got people now that they had ruined Sam Bradford's career by then, but if I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist here, I'm going to say that there was absolutely a method to their madness, that even with Bradford at his best, there was no way that offense could have ever been good. And by the way, on January 1st of 2012, New Year's Day, noon, New Year's Day, all right, after New Year's Eve, the last game of 15 and 65, the worst stretch in the history of the NFL over five years, mm -hmm. all right? 55,000 people showed up for a 2-13 Rams team. 55,000 people, this is according to their own media guide, to watch a 2-13 and 13 team that had been 15-64. and 64. And they were taking on a 12-3 and 3 49ers team on noon on New Year's Day. You telling me that's not support? I get, here's another one for you. And I, I've helped a little bit with, uh, with, with this uh, lawsuit. But here, here's another one for you. From 1995 until 2015, the Rams, who said in their relocation proposal that they could not compete economically with the St. Louis Cardinals. Rams and Cardinals played in St. Louis on the same day 21 times. All 21 times, the Rams drew more than the Cardinals did. 21 out of 21. So if you're telling me that the Cardinals are always going to do better than you, then why is it that even on a night of Game 5 of the 2013 World Series when you played a Monday night game, you had more fans in the stands than the Cardinals did. Yeah, and, and it brings me back. I mean, I, I've just been reviewing the statement of reasons 
that, uh, that, that was submitted to the National Football League to justify the proposed relocation. And over and over again, it says St. Louis is not a three-team market. Um, have you had a chance? I mean, I'm sure you, you've read that report and that proposal. Well, it's very insulting at a number of levels. And, and it's, it's a book report. The, 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 that report isn't worth the paper it was written on because everything – If in St. Louis, we've got St. Louis City, which has 300,000 people, and then we've got a metro area of 2.8 million people. Everything in that report referenced the 300,000 people and the companies in the city of St. Louis. It didn't reference the metro area at all. And on the night of the vote, January 12th of 2016, I asked Demoff, why didn't you talk about the, the metro area? Why only the city? And he said, well, I don't know. That was his answer. <laughs> I'll even go far to follow up on Randy's uh, kind of little conspiracy theory. I'll even throw a bigger conspiracy theory out there from my outlook of how the team performed after those, uh, you know, amazing years from 99 and 2001, 2002, so on and so forth, even having success in 04 and 05, leading up until that historically bad stretch that Randy had already alluded to earlier. Let's think back to 2007. At that point, Stan Kroenke had already exercised a, another additional buy-in to the Rams and bought an additional 10% into the team, which if I'm not mistaken, and Randy and Tim, you guys can correct me on this one, but I believe that he had a clause that was in there that was the right of first refusal. He did. That, oh, so, okay, so I didn't know if that was prior to or if that was during that 10% additional purpose, purchase. So if you think about that and you go, okay, 2007, people were made aware that Georgia Frontier was very ill. And she had breast cancer. She went to the UCLA uh, Medical Center, and that's where she passed away in January of 2008. So if I'm betting my cards, if I'm really going to go down that rabbit hole and I'm going to play – crazy conspiracy theorists put my tenfold hat on i'm going to tell you i think that he already had it planned i think back at least as far back as that period of time it was already rabbit down the hole let's chase this thing out maybe it was to get an expansion team in la he'll sell his uh team in the rams and he'll move on and go do an expansion team in los angeles but i think once it got to that point where he said oh, wow, I've got this team now. I'm going to be able to have right of first refusal. I'm going to be able to buy it, and I'm going to be able to go on. And if I remember another report that I had read, and unfortunately I don't remember where that report had came from, but if I remember correctly, when Shad Khan had made the initial offer on the team and then Stan Kroenke exercised his right of first refusal, if I remember correctly, there was a statement that was made that he offered Khan a potential buyout for himself. Have you guys heard that rumor too as well? Because that's the one that I have heard many, many times. I have not heard that, no. I had not heard that either, uh, Derek. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember where I had seen that, where I had read it, or if there was just some craziness to it. But the reality is, is I think if you just put the puzzle pieces together from when Georgia Frontier had gotten sick, whenever he bought his extra 10% in, extra, you know, put that right of first refusal in, I think you could trace it back to then. Because we could even look at 2010 and go, wow, the signs were actually kind of there then. And then so on and so forth, even up to, to the time that they left. Yeah. And by the way, Dan, I'm, I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but 
that, uh, and by the way, that relocation proposal was written by Cronkey's St. Louis attorney. And uh, Tim's a St. Louis guy, Derek's a St. Louis guy, I'm a St. Louis guy. It, that was an attack on our community. And that's another reason, by the way, that the people that have filed the suit have filed the suit because it angered everybody. It, it should anger everybody who cares about this community. And you, Dan Lust, you used the, the word pound of flesh a little bit earlier. That's one of the things is that this will be a response and this will be kind of St. Louis's pound of flesh in response to that ridiculous relocation proposal. Yeah, now so, um, let me, oh, go, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I wanted to ask a, a question about Isaac Bruce, who's been in the news lately. You know, in, in the city of Oakland, Ronnie Lott tried to put together a stadium proposal and a, and a, and a, and a group to, you know, buy the Oakland Raiders. Now we're seeing something similar in, in the headlines about Isaac Bruce hoping to own a St. Louis franchise. Is there any realism behind this? Is this a public relations ploy? Is there a scenario in which Isaac Bruce can be part of some type of an ownership group? Uh, to say, you know, to, to provide a, a landing place for, for an expansion franchise in the city. I was uh, in Canton with Isaac. I love Isaac Bruce. All of us love Isaac Bruce. He's a great St. Louis. But if Isaac, and I say this with, with all respect, if Isaac is a part of an ownership group, I think it'll be more akin to Venus and Serena Williams being part of the Dolphins ownership group. <laughs> I think it'll be strictly ceremonial. I, I can't imagine. Maybe they would make Isaac the front man because he's so popular here in town. But in terms of finances, I don't think that he could be more than a ceremonial part of an ownership group. Okay, could there be a model like the Green Bay Packers, public ownership of, of a team here? You know, the, the litigants, the plaintiffs, the city of St. Louis, and the stadium authority. These are, these are you know, public agencies. Is there any scenario in which there could be a Green Bay Packers-like ownership situation in, in St. Louis? Is that even plausible? Well, the, the league rules and the Packers were grandfathered and require the majority owner to own at least 30% of the franchise. And you can't sell stock in a franchise. You can't have corporate ownership in a franchise. So, for example, when Anheuser-Busch wanted to buy into the football Cardinals back in the day, they weren't allowed because corporate ownership isn't allowed. Could there be a large consortium consortium of people uh, with one person owning 30% that would own the franchise. Yes, that's the way the, I, I believe the Ravens ownership group is set up that way. But in, in terms of the Green Bay model, that's just not doable anymore in the NFL. Okay, thank you. Um, so so let me uh, let me ask this, and Tim, I know we're, we're being mindful of time you haven't had. I'll ask you this first. And we oh, come on, around. Tim, this is easy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I love talking. Um, I could talk about this for 10 hours, man. <laughs> uh, so, so quick. You know what, we're, Randy, let me, let me ask you first, and then we'll, we'll send Tim out on, on his response. You know, I, I've seen it, and Derek, you mentioned it earlier. I, I find this question so fascinating within St. Louis, right? Um, I think everyone's got a different opinion for different reasons. But, uh, Randy, I'll, I'll ask you this first, just candidly, and I'll, I'll take however much you want to give me. Um, do you want an, an NFL team to come back to St. Louis? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm in sports talk radio. So having a team is good for business, yes. Uh, and I think there's a perception out there because I, I give the facts and talking to the people that are way more powerful than me about this, I give the facts about where the power people in St. Louis stand. I was very passionate about the Rams being here. There was a group called Fans Inc. And I, I actually went to work volunteering for Fans Inc. I'm not that passionate now, but if an NFL team came here, 
the NFL is still very popular. As we referenced the 70% of people that are interested in having a team here, we talk about the NFL on our show. It's good for business. So from that standpoint, yes, but would I buy PSLs again? Would I work hard to have a team here? No, but at the end of the day, if there's a team here, and by the way, a lot of sports fans want a team here, I would be happy for them. Um, so, Tim, uh, I'm being mindful of your out over here. Uh, oh, the floor is yours. cool, man. Everything's cool. Uh, listen, I get some notes, okay? I got to be mindful of the notes. So, Tim, Tim, what are your thoughts? I, I imagine, right, in the, in the business that you're in, having an NFL team would help. But I know I respect we had this ask the same question to Ben Fredrickson, and he said he didn't want a team. He felt like, uh, you know, he said, I don't speak for all people from St. Louis, but I, I don't think that, uh, you know, that, that St. Louis deserves, or not St. Louis deserves, that the NFL deserves St. Louis fandom after, you know, kind of kicking them on their way out. So, Tim, um, I don't want to speak for, for Ben, but that's kind of the, the gist of sure. his thoughts. That you break up with somebody, right, you know, and it's a bitter divorce. Why do you necessarily want to go back? But, Tim, I'll, I'll give it to you. Uh, yeah, I would like to see a team. Um, however, it's not as simple as yes or no. But since I know that people will focus on the, the first statement, I wanted to make sure that was my first statement. Um, but with regards to – the way that it all went down and how it would actually play out. There is so much work to do. If you ask me to bet a material amount of money right now as to whether or not this is going to end with St. Louis with a team, I wouldn't be all in that St. Louis is not going to get a team. But if I had to bet it, I would bet St. Louis won't wind up with a team. But I personally would like it. I think one of the byproducts from a positive standpoint of the Rams leaving is it's forced a lot of St. Louisans who otherwise thought everything was going along smoothly here uh, to look in the mirror and go, oh, well, maybe things aren't as good as we thought they were. Uh, oftentimes with St. Louis, if you live here, there's a, there's a better than 50%, if not 75% chance that you grew up here. It's a very provincial city. Uh, not a lot of people from St. Louis have spent m m you know, multiple years living elsewhere, uh, perhaps outside of school. And so you don't see some of the problems that we have. And so money from the NFL and a settlement could do a lot of good toward helping rebuild St. Louis to what it was a few decades ago. At the same time, an NFL franchise, if executed properly, the revenue from that would be beneficial. So it's not as simple as, well, I'm a sports fan or I'm in sports talk radio because Randy's show is a real sports talk show. What I do is you know, a cross between perversion and nitwit hour, right? You know, it's, it's not a real, it's, it's not a real show. So whether the, whether there's an NFL team or not, isn't going to increase my pay, but as a, as a St. Louis and we have bigger problems uh, than whether or not we have an NFL team at the same time, an NFL team and the revenue may help uh, the city. But like I said, it's so complex because of all these issues, many of which we've spoken to here over the last hour. Um, so I see, and we, I added them to the spotlight, Ben, the real Ben Albright has joined us, not the fake Ben Albrights that I had to kick out. Uh, um, so, uh, Ben, first of all, uh, welcome to the panel. Uh, you're, you're just in time for hour, uh, number two, uh, and to the extent any of our panelists need to hop off, that's fine. I think we're going to plan to have this go. You know, the first panel this morning went about, uh, hour 45, two hours, you know, to the extent people need to hop off, that's fine, but we have a ton of people here. So we want to keep this going as long as we can. Um, Ben. Um, well, you know, let's pretend you haven't heard anything, right? Um, are you driving, by the way? I don't think you can zoom and drive. <laughs> What's that? Say that again. I'm sorry. I apologize. I got in my car in order to, uh, to get on with you guys. Are, are, you, are you driving right now? Are you driving a car? 
Yes, I am. Oh, very illegal. 100% illegal. <laughs> in any state you're in, that's a violation of vehicle and traffic law. Uh, listen, I mean, uh, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not. I'm being chauffeured right now. Uh. <laughs> that, that could have been the backseat. I was unclear. Um, okay, so Ben, uh, let, let's just uh, we'll jump right into it. Give me your overall thoughts. Uh, I asked the same question to all the panelists, but you know, I, I know you grew up uh, in St. Louis, I believe. Is it just born in St. Louis or born and raised in St. Louis? I was born in St. Louis, um, lived there for a few years. We bounced around. I ended up coming back. I, I had family living there forever. I lived right there down in South County, down there by Melville. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, very familiar. All my family was from St. Louis, grandparents, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I'm plenty familiar with St. Louis, the city itself, and, and, its, and its problems. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm told, uh, and this is by someone in our chat, and you can tell me I'm wrong, but... Uh, uh, that Ben and uh, Tim, that you guys have been on each other's shows, or or uh, Ben, you've been on Tim's show. Uh, yeah, yeah Ben's definitely been on our show. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, I I think there at least someone in the chat is saying that he recalls a conversation that you guys had, or Ben, that you you said on Tim's show that there was maybe a chance that the Chargers could relocate to St. Louis in this kind of musical chairs. Is that something that you still feel strongly about, or is that uh, something you don't share anymore? I don't know if feel strongly is the, is the the right way to phrase that. I would say more that that's an, an option. Um, if you don't, you know, if you're the NFL and you don't want to expand, then one of the other options would be relocating a franchise that is currently a tenant franchise uh, for another franchise in Los Angeles. And that's dividing, you know, your, your dollars. That's dividing the revenue dollars that that franchise can acquire because you're essentially competing for the same dollars in a basketball town in Los Angeles. So, um, Tim, you mentioned this, and I made a note to bring this up. It's the only reason I asked the question. And, Ben, uh, I know we'll make sure, uh, uh, you know, I'll get back to you with your overall thoughts. But there is right now, for people that are not paying attention to it, Tim mentioned it on the first panel, there is a – maybe the next team up for sale is the Chargers. The Spanos family uh, right now is involved in a really messy, like, a states case, which we don't really have – Dan and I cover the intersection of sports and law. A lot of the time it's criminal law. Sometimes it's civil law. Sometimes you get a fun case like this. You have some antitrust, breach of contract. You don't really get estates uh, in sports. It doesn't really happen. So uh, I'll give you the gist of it uh, for the Chargers. Again, you know, we're talking about expansion. We should talk about other teams possibly relocating. Someone in our chat said that Cincinnati's having an issue with the Bengals. So, you know, there's, there's other, other avenues here. Um, but essentially, uh, Dean Spanos was voted the majority member of the Spanos family. I believe there's two sisters. There might be, a, might be another brother. But I think there's four siblings in total. Um, and essentially, um, you know, when the, the family was put in, a, the team was put in a trust and given to the team or given to the, the siblings. So essentially what this trust said is if the team is an asset that's operating in the red or the trust is not doing well financially, then, uh, you know, as Dean Spanos, as a trustee, has an obligation to maybe sell some family assets and get the family out of the red because the family owns the team. And if the team is losing money, it doesn't really matter how much the team is worth on paper. It's how much money is coming to the gate, how much money the team is making year over year. And certainly this popped up largely because of the pandemic here where you did not have, uh, you know, gate, uh, you know, uh, merchandise. I, I think that accounted for about 40% of team revenue was just kind of out the door. So that, that's why it came up. So there is a world where the Chargers come up for sale. If, um, you know, if Dean Spanos is required by a uh, judge in the state's court to, to sell the team, I mean, you know, you just need to have a ready, willing, and able owner to move the team to St. Louis, which I'm sure there's certainly some very wealthy people in St. Louis. But, right, you, you might have some sort of a bidding war, just like we saw with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. Like we've seen, you know, that was a blind bidding war. Steve Ballmer bid, uh, you know, I think it was the numbers, $2 billion for the team. 
Um, they only offer kind of close to that was, a, I think, in the high nine figures. So, um, yeah, I, I, Tim mentioned it. Uh, you know, Ben, you, you bring it up. I've seen it. Uh, could that make sense that San Diego's up for sale and move to St. Louis? Sure. But you still need, as Randy's point, you need an owner that wants the team in St. Louis. It's not just the NFL requiring it to be there. You do need someone to bring it there. Um, go ahead. I'll open it to the floor on the Chargers comments. Well, I know that uh, I can tell you, I know that Jeff Bezos has already tried to pursue ownership with the Chargers. Uh, and he was, he was rebuffed initially. Um, I, I think there's still, you, you mentioned the legal case they're dealing with. So that, that's a part of that. But if Bezos does buy the Chargers, then they're not relocating. He would want them in Los Angeles. He also sniffed around the, uh, the Washington football team because the, uh, you know, they've been trying to squeeze Dan Snyder out for a while there. And with all the latest stuff, I, I think they're really trying to gear towards that. So there are owners out there interested in teams. Then you've got another team that's in trust right now with the Broncos, um, you know, with the Bowling Airs trying to figure that out. And you've got, uh, you know, Philip Anschutz as well trying to get in the mix. So there, there are plenty of potential owners out there with that. But I think you hit the nail on the head. If it's going to be a relocation, you've got to have an ownership group that wants them in St. Louis. I think um, another thing to look at, guys, is with the Chargers, on the morning of the relocation, when Kroenke signed the indemnification to the league, he also agreed to provide 15% of all revenues from so SoFi Stadium to the Chargers. They pay a dollar, one dollar a year in rent. They get 15% of the revenues from the stadium. And in addition to that, the only money they pay to the debt service on SoFi Stadium is what they sell in PSLs. And there's no minimum amount that they can sell a PSL for. So they're selling PSLs literally to SoFi Stadium for the Chargers for $100 a seat. So what they're doing, uh, Dean Spanos can go to Stan Kroenke and with a $400 check say, say, I just sold four PSLs. Here, this can go to $5.2 billion to, to help build the stadium. It's the deal of the century. You don't have to work for it. You would actually have to work for it here in St. Louis. You'd have to compete for dollars. The, the Chargers are guaranteed $600 million over the next 30 years just from the naming rights. I, I don't know why, if you had access to that lease, why you would want to give that up in that market. I certainly think it's a fair point. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the chat, but Jack Dorsey is going to get a lot of tweets from us uh, and everybody <laughs> yeah. here. Um, he never uh, responds to me when I try to get verified. Uh, we'll, we'll come after him. We're lawyers. Okay. We're scared. Um, so Ben, uh, I didn't want to bury the lead. You, I wanted to ask you the question for the charges. What, what are your overall thoughts on this landscape? Uh, you know, just from beginning to end where the lawsuit started and, and kind of where it's going. And then I'll, I'll kind of bring you back into the fold. Well, I mean, you know, this, this particular story has always fascinated me. Uh, it, it, honestly, it was the story I made my name on getting into this industry. I, I know I, I irritated a lot of people there in St. Louis when I told them that relocation was going to happen. And, you know, I was trying to prepare people there and my name was kind of mud there for a while, but um, with the, with the Rams, but you know, overall um, this story has always fascinated me. Relocation in and of itself has always fascinated me for, for various reasons, but uh, it, in terms of where it sits now, I'm just fascinated by the fact that the, the NFL and, and with how gigantic a monster that entity is, got caught with their pants down uh, on this thing and how they keep losing in court and how, you know, they, they're, they're on the ropes here. Like, I, I don't think nationally people realize exactly the extent to which, and, and I think you've documented it at times, that the dollar amount they could be on the hook for. The NFL is currently uh, about an $18 billion a year enterprise in terms of revenue. Now that's going up with the new TV deals. The, the last we know, they're $18 billion. Um, and that's based off the Packers financials that we can, you know, we can get into, but, um, so, so the, the, the 
uh, judgment levied against them in terms of dollar amounts could be, you know, prohibitive. You know, it could be something to put a, a real dent uh, in the NFL overall. And it, it is currently king. It's, it's the king of sports and, you know, in the United States. So for me, looking at the options that they have, whether that is a, a relocation, which I think is, is lower on the total pool for them, whether that's offering an expansion, which is something the league wants to do, actually, um, they want to expand. They could expand to St. Louis, San Antonio, potentially to Toronto, you know, and then they've looked at other locations, whether that's, you know, Mexico City, Portland, whatever. Um, they, they've looked at that and they would like to put four more teams over the next 20 years. They'd, they'd like to expand the league a little bit. Uh, so I think that that is, if they're going to offer a settlement, I think some type of cash and expansion franchise would ultimately be the direction that they would try to go. Yeah. So, I mean, to- Go ahead, go I apologize. Ahead. I, I, I needed to get going, but I wanted to uh, to thank you guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to uh, the remainder of the uh, the mm-hmm. town hall. It was great to spend two hours with you guys this morning yeah. uh, and great to spend another hour and uh, do it with some of my cohorts from St. Louis and Ben, who has been on our show. We're on from 7 to 10 every morning in St. Louis and uh, on 590 The Fan, KFNS, and then I have my own podcast, The Tim McKernan Show. And uh, I'm very grateful for all the work that, that Randy and Derek and Ben have done. And then you guys with Conduct Detrimental, Dan. Uh, it's been so helpful, I think, to get this story out because nationally, uh, it just hasn't gotten much attention up until the last month. So uh, thank you so much for, for talking about it, for digging deep into the legal element of it, and for uh, hosting this town hall earlier today and also tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Sure. Good to see you, Tim. Of course. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. It was great doing a show with you, and I don't believe there'll be any danger of this case not getting enough attention from this. (laughs) Yeah, finally, it's happening. Thanks, guys. All right, take take care, Tim. See ya. Go go ahead, Dan. You're about to ask a question. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when we talk about settlement of of an expansion franchise, all of this stems from the uh, potential sticker shock of a jury verdict, which will hinge on two things. It will hinge on, uh, you know, a jury uh, finding that the relocation policy is a contract and that the city is a third-party beneficiary and an appeals court upholding that. And the NFL is concerned about making bad precedent, but if they don't settle the case prior to trial and get stuck with a verdict, an adverse verdict, and that verdict is upheld on appeal, that's much worse precedent than settling the case today because today's battle is just in the here and now, uh, going forward, we could be having similar discussions about Jacksonville, Buffalo, Minnesota. I think the time to nip, to, to nip the bad precedent in the bud is before it becomes precedent. And right now, all that the National Football League really has in terms of adverse precedent is a denial of summary judgment. That doesn't quite have the weight of a presidential, a presidential ruling that will be relied upon in other jurisdictions. So I think there's a window now because if it gets to trial and there's a jury determination that there was a contract between the owners and the, the NFL to which the city was a third party beneficiary, it could be all over because that could open the door to the, the, to the disgorgement remedy of, of, of the $550 million relocation fee. And then you have economists determining well, how much of the increased value of the Rams was attributable to moving to Los Angeles? That is a much more dangerous place to be in terms of the future than where they stand right now, where there really hasn't been any factual finding as to what took place and what the proper damages should be. And, and guys, for those that aren't aware of it, uh, the city of St. Louis provides the second, on average, the second largest judgments of any community in America. The only 
one that provides more higher judgments is right across the river in Madison County, Illinois. But another part of this is that just last year, there was a judgment against uh, Johnson & Johnson for $4.7 billion. And that was held up on appeal. It was knocked down a little bit because some of the plaintiffs were not from Missouri. But in terms of the people in Missouri, they got their entire judgment and it was held up on appeal. So not only does the St. Louis jury uh, stand up and provide a lot of actual and punitive damages, but the appellate system in Missouri is staunchly in favor of plaintiffs as well. Yeah, Randy, there's a great thing. You said, you said Dan's great... favorite word. I know I'm going to give it to you. You said the word appellate. Dan's a former no, appellate no, no, lawyer. I'm I knew he was going to. I'm going to give you a better word. There's a website, Randy, called judicialhellholes.org. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So St. Louis has a reputation of being a really great, you know, venue for plaintiffs. And there's this defense organization that lists all the worst places in which to try a case if you're a defendant. And St. Louis is number seven, uh, the seventh ranked judicial hellhole. And this is the executive summary that this website has. The city of St. Louis Circuit Court is notorious for allowing blatant forum shopping and awarding excessive punitive damage awards. Uh, the court also fails to ensure that cases are guided by sound science. <laughs> and in, 20, in, in, in 2020, last year, the Missouri legislature tried to correct the problem and make it much more difficult to get punitive damages. Uh, it, it raised the, the threshold from recklessness to deliberate you know, intent to harm as being the bar that has to be cleared before you can get an award of punitive damages, which if the NFL had been sued in 2020 or beyond, that would have been a problem for St. Louis, but the city filed suit in 2017, uh, which means that they fall under the pre-existing punitive damages regime, which means that there's no statutory cap and um, the level of misconduct here need only rise to the level of recklessness, reckless disregard for the rights of others. So I think, I, I think as the NFL evaluates the potential for settlement, they need to bear in mind uh, the reputation uh, that the jury system and court system in St. Louis has. And it's not just the fact that it's home cooking, but when it goes to a jury verdict and there are factual determinations made by a jury, it's going to be much more difficult to go up on appeal and ask the Missouri Court of Appeals to, you know, disturb a jury verdict, you know, where the jury's in the courtroom, they're evaluating the credibility of the witnesses and there are factual issues that get resolved. And that's usually, and that is the province of the jury rather than the court addressing a legal question and in analyzing uh, the, the question of whether there was a contract formed and whether the city was the intended beneficiary of the NFL's relocation policy. I think that's intensely a factual determination made by a jury that maybe a, an appellate court will leave intact. So the judicial hellhole uh, <laughs> reputation, I think, is going to loom large here as the NFL evaluates its options pre-trial. And before I forget, Dan, I know you want to say something, but uh, one quick note here. Uh, the NFL has asked for Bob Blitz to be disqualified as one of the attorneys. The St. Louis side feels like that they're going to win that. There's virtually no way that the judge will. will, especially this late, disqualify Bob. But Bob, he's been an attorney for more than 40 years. He's a cagey attorney. And I said this to an attorney today who agreed with me. I think Bob Blitz is a greater weapon against the NFL as a witness on the stand than he is as a lawyer for the St. Louis side. 
Why is that? What, what makes him such a threat to the NFL? Because he knows everything about what happened. He was on the task force. He knows every lie that was told by the NFL because they were told to him. And because, number one, he's a trial attorney. He's very good. He knows what a good, uh, a, a good witness is and knows every single fact of this case. I think he's, he's more damaging to the league as a witness than an, attor- than an attorney against them. I, well, can, I can tell you that the league is terrified of that. That's why they're pursuing that, and they expect to lose that. Hmm. Yeah, um, I'll, so I'll tell you why they're going to lose. Hold, hold on. I want to explain why they're going to lose the motion. Uh, Randy, you know, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. They filed it late in the game. Uh, it just seems to be a, a sort of a tactic uh, that if you're going to seek the disqualification of a party's lawyer, you should do it as early as possible in the proceedings and not on the eve of trial. But the bigger yeah. issue is the reason why they're seeking his testimony, probably due to his work on the task force. He knows where the bodies are buried. He was involved in the, uh, you know, the plan to fund a new stadium. But uh, the law under, under Missouri law for disqualification requires that the attorney who's going to be a witness be the only witness that can testify in connection with those material matters. And he was the co-chair of a task force. He was a member of a task force. He wasn't the only person involved so I think for the reasons of timeliness and the lack of the fact that he's the only witness who can testify as to those issues, I think the Missouri, uh, I'm so, I'm, I think Judge McGraw will deny that motion and it will, you know, be further denied by the Court of Appeals if it goes up there on appellate review. So uh, just briefly, and I know, Ben, you, you certainly have some comments in, on uh, Kroenke. If I uh, follow your, your feed appropriately, I'll, I'll open this one up to the floor. Uh, ben, Derek, uh, you know, Randy. You know, there. Dan and I talked about this in the podcast, and there's a, you know, you look up celebrity net worth so you can get some kind of rough estimate. Uh, my wife and I were watching Full House the other day. I was trying to figure out how much Bob Saget's worth. You could just punch it in and Google it, right? Um, Stan Kroenke has a net worth, at least according to Google. Maybe we'll find out from these documents that he filed in court if we ever get to see the light of day. But, you know, uh, public knowledge says he's worth about $10 billion. Dan and I, uh, you know, in our podcast, we've said that the city of St. Louis, and it's been reported, that they might uh, be looking at a damages award in front of a jury if it's trebled, if that means if it's tripled, could be in the vicinity of $10 billion. That's if everything in a best case scenario. So somebody asked in the chat, I wasn't joking, I did think it was a great question, right? Stan Kroenke, uh, maybe there's a world, right? Uh, again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not predicting it, I'm just giving you the different possibilities, where the judgment is so high that's hit by a jury that and Stan Kroenke is footing the bill, right? You know, uh, is that a world where Stan Kroenke loses ownership of the team? Obviously, the guy is worth a ton of money. He owns a couple teams, but $10 billion is $10 billion. You know, maybe he's worth more than his net worth would otherwise indicate. But um, what, what do you guys think? Is that is that something that uh, you guys are hearing that he's maybe even open to selling the team or, or anything like that? I, you um, know, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, sorry, Ben. I, uh, I'll just go ahead and jump in there real quick. I'll tell you this. There's nobody in St. Louis that wants the Rams back. I mean, as far as the Rams are concerned, we've closed the door on that as far as the the name or any of that other stuff. Uh, if Kroenke would have to be forced to sell the team, it would stay in L.A. Uh, but he did sign that agreement when he did move out there that he agreed that he would not sell the team. And Randy can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But for 10 years, he agreed that he would not sell the franchise after moving to LA. 
So if, if I'm not mistaken, there might be some kind of an issue there. And obviously you guys have covered it quite a bit about the indemnification agreement that he has signed with the league. And now there's a potential possibility that he may and or may not honor that based off of the way this case goes. I know there's been some people that have made the, uh, the let's just say it the tinfoil hat conspiracy theory of that well what if the 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 nfl was put in such a situation like it was with cleveland and say okay well hey the rams colors and name and history and everything are going to have to go back to st louis i don't see the law team in st louis wanting that i don't see any fan in st louis wanting that I would say more than likely what the best case scenario, and this is what I wanted to say earlier when Tim was still on, when you guys had kind of discussed it a little bit more. If you were to ask me, I would say, St. Louis, you've got all the cards here. You've got the NFL over the proverbial barrel. You can do what you want. If you want an expansion team in a stadium and practice facilities and $500 million in damages, then guess what? Stay there. Stick to that. And if you can't do it, go for the jugular. You take this thing to trial, you take it all the way. And I think a lot of us would love to see that day of a trial case in St. Louis, in front of a St. Louis courtroom, in front of a St. Louis jury, to see these people squirm beyond belief and to put them in a scenario or a situation where they have to answer these questions. And I think that really, to be honest with you, if the NFL smart, and you guys have said this, if the NFL smart, they come to the table and they say, okay, what's this going to take? Now, does St. Louis, do they want to do that? I don't know. I'm not Bob Blitz. I don't work on the law team. I can only give the best assessment from my angle and the way that I would do it if I was negotiating. But again, I have a very skewed perspective as a fan because I want a team. I want to see a team back in St. Louis. Do I want to see a team that badly that I'm going to jeopardize the future of the city and jeopardize the potential possibility of a massive payout in the billions of dollars for the, for the city, for the county, for the, for the community to be able to use that kind of money? No, but that's just kind of where I stand. Well, let me, let me, Tack a few points on there because some of those are moot. Number one, the city of St. Louis is not getting any of the Rams iconography back at all anyway. So that's that's a moot point. Um, as far as the rest of it goes, Stan Kroenke is worth more than $10 billion, I can tell you that. Um, Josh Kroenke, his son's worth like like five or six. Uh, his wife is, is worth, I think the, I think she's listed at like eight, but she's really worth closer to 12. Uh, when you Google, consider says she's worth, Google says she's worth 8.8. 8, so that's yeah, Google is a verified source here. It, it's way more than that. It's <laughs> I can I can tell you that. Um, I you know I live here in Denver. I, I know the Cronkies, and, and I think most people can connect the dots on some things with uh, mm-hmm. with my reporting. But um, you know, th- 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 as far as that goes, so so there's there's more than plenty of money there. He's not going to sell the team. That's not what that won't happen, and he won't be forced to sell the team, uh, regardless of, of of which way this goes. Now, uh, with the NFL and and settling and all that kind of stuff, cash, whatever that is. Um, you know, expansion franchise, whatever that is, you're not going to get the Rams iconography back. I'll just, I'll tell you that now. It would be an expansion team or a relocation and, and most likely an expansion team. And I could envision, guys, a civil war because from what I've heard over the last several years is that in the indemnification that was signed that morning of January 12th of 2016, it reads that Kroenke would be responsible for all costs in a judgment, not all monies or not an entire judgment. And I could certainly envision 
uh, scenario in which he's saying, well, costs are legal costs and not the entire judgment. And other owners would be thinking, no, costs are our entire costs and what the judgment is. So I would not be at all surprised if the judgment is big against the NFL, if there would be some sort of a, well, another lawsuit that takes place among owners and, uh, and the league. Well, Randy, uh, you know, I think the, an indemnification agreement entered into between sophisticated parties wouldn't leave the issue so vague to, to equate damages with costs. I mean, I've drafted so many of these indemnification agreements and, and waivers and releases, and, and the term cost is always side by side with damages, penalties, any, everything and anything under the, sun, uh, and under the sun. I just can't imagine that this indemnification agreement would just zero in and lock in only on one type of remedy unless the intent here is that he only reimburse uh, legal fees and out-of-pocket expenses associated with uh, you know, uh, lawyer's costs. Uh, it, it's either mm -hmm. gonna be the whole thing or just lawyer's fees. And I think that that would have to be so specific that there shouldn't be any ambiguity over it. What I'm hearing, I mean, some people are DMing me about this that are so, supposedly six degrees of separation away from the controversy. His argument is that he's going to try to wiggle out of the indemnification agreement on the basis that it's almost like, you know, that there was a gun to the head. It was an adhesion contract that's procedurally and substantively unconscionable. And of course, a sophisticated businessman worth $12 billion, good luck finding a court and a jury to believe that you were under some kind of duress and were coerced to sign this agreement. But that's what I'm hearing. And, and I just, I'm, I'm skeptical that the uh, language would be so vaguely worded that it would lead to litigation. Yeah, the, the only explanation I could think of or give is that it was so hastily done because Jerry Jones wanted this deal done and the, the league wanted this deal done. So in the matter of minutes, half hour, hour, they say, okay, well, we'll let you move. You'll be the guy, but we're going to have to draft this indemnification uh, clause yeah. very quickly. And whether it's costs or judgment or all monies, it, it was one of those, and it really wasn't carefully gone over. I, I don't know that to be the case, but that's the only thing that I could think of if that is indeed the case. Sure, maybe they wrote it on the back of the Bill Belichick resignation letter uh, where he resigned <laughs> yeah. as the HC yeah. of the NYK. Yeah. They could just flip over that <laughs> right. napkin and just draft the indemnification clause. Yeah. So that's going to be a very valuable napkin one day. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so uh, getting to 11.30, uh, you know, we can wrap fairly soon. The, the main question, I have you know, one round of questions, and we, I want to give it to you guys for final thoughts. The name of this panel, at least in my head and on my, uh, my legal pad, which lawyers do use legal pads, uh, was the St. Louis jury. And uh, I, I find this to be one of the most fascinating parts of this case. Case is brought by the city of St. Louis, county of St. Louis, the convention center, right? This is a case where... Plaintiffs, whether you want to say it or not, right, or kind of have some home cooking. Again, for better or for worse, they're going to have this case, which they've already had in front of a St. Louis judge. It's going to be decided by a St. Louis jury. You know, could you have two juries for liability and damages? I believe you could do that in Missouri. I, don't, I know you could do it in New York. Um, Dan will correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, either way, unless this case uh, is challenged on, on a, you know, this writ of prohibition, they move this case to an adjacent venue or maybe even an adjacent state. I don't think they've, they're suggesting venues necessarily. They're just saying St. Louis is unfair. Um, I, I think it's a huge edge. You'd be kidding yourself if you didn't think that was a monstrous edge for the plaintiff. So here's, here's how jury selection works for our, our people out here that, you know, they get jury selection in the mail and they don't want to go. 
jury selection can be fun, right? Jury selection uh, is also, if you know the right things to say in a jury, you can get kicked off a jury pretty easily, right? So generally, uh, you know, the Constitution affords people the right to a fair and impartial jury. So what they ask you in jury selection, they'll talk a little bit about the case and they'll say, hey, this is a case involving the city of St. Louis and the St. Louis Rams, they moved to Los Angeles, they give you the gist of the case. And they go, they'll go around the room. They go, do you have any, have you ever worked for the city of St. Louis? Have you ever lived in the city of St. Louis? Okay, so you answered yes to one of those questions, right? Can you still be impartial with respect to the case? They might ask you, have you been a Rams season ticket holder? They might ask, have you posted, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, things critical or positive, negative about the Rams, about the Cronkies? So they'll ask you that. Lawyers certainly will in the room, which I've been a part of this, doing social media research on the fly for lawyers trying to conduct uh, jury selection, right? It happens. So they're going to know a lot of things about you. It's going to be very hard to find a panel of jurors that have no bias and, and nothing relating to this case. Um, you know, but it is what it is. It's just a, a quick example, and I'll, I'll kind of give it to the floor. <clears throat> this Casey Anthony case that people will know, this case in Florida, uh, with the alleged murder of this, of this young girl. Um, Casey Anthony was the mom. Kaylee Anthony was the girl. Uh, Casey Anthony gets off of murder. Uh, it's one of the big wins. I don't think anybody thought that was going to happen. Why? And this is important just for the St. Louis media market back in, you know, Florida media market was crucifying her, crucifying Casey Anthony. She did it where she hide the body. It was her, it was her, it was her. She was a no, number one public enemy in the country. So when she got off, people were very surprised. How is that even possible? Right? How is that possible that she got off the case? Well, put it this way. All of those media, right, all those different comments to newspapers, right, that was all known to the jury pool. So they were asking the jurors, hey, are you familiar with the, uh, the contents of this case? And everyone had to say yes, because everyone knew that was what was going on in the media. It was being litigated before our eyes. And the next question was, well, despite hearing all of this different stuff in the media about where she hid the body, about bleach and chloroform and whatever else going on in the Casey Anthony case, do you still think you could find her innocent? if you heard all this other evidence, right? Or are you convinced right now that there is no possible way that she could be found innocent? So the people that said, there's no way that she could be found innocent, I think she's guilty right now, you can't change my mind, those people were kicked off the jury. The people that were kept on the jury were the people that said, yeah, I've heard all this bad stuff, and uh, yeah, I think I could be convinced that she's still innocent. Now, just kind of psychoanalyze the juror for a second in that context. That person has heard all of the worst possible facts, has heard the one-sided painting of the media, yet they still can find them, you know, Casey Anthony, innocent. So that's someone that's not going to be convinced very easily. So this is a really tall task for City of St. Louis, not really for St. Louis, maybe for the NFL and Kroenke and all these guys, to find jurors that aren't, and I, I'll say this, I'm not, I'm not eligible for the jury, that are not plants, right? You know, you could say, hey, I'm, I'm able to be, I'm, I'm able to be, Partial, of course. Yeah, I had season tickets, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I can be impartial here. That's, that's the fear, right? Because I think this case is so close to the people of, of the St. Louis that they want to be on a jury, right? They want to put the nail in the coffin. People are going to be lining up around the court to serve on this jury. So I'll, I'll turn it to you guys, Derek, Randy, Ben, uh, you guys have all uh, lived here, at least for periods of time. What are your thoughts on, on St. Louis's ability to, to be partial and, and be a true and fair jury for this case? I'll start with the, just what I think has been the line of all of the hearings so far, and it was when Judge McGraw turned down the bid for a change of venue, and he said, I think it's pretty disingenuous of the defense to have a relocation proposal in which you say, nobody in St. Louis cares about the Rams, and that's why we want to move the franchise, but then come here and say, 
St. Louis cared so much about the Rams that we won't be able to find a jury in the city of St. Louis, and they all want to punish us. Well, which way does the NFL want to have it? That was essentially, to paraphrase, the question of Judge McGraw. I do think among those 300,000 people in the city of St. Louis that they will be able to find 15 yeah. where they really didn't care about the Rams. The, the, the Rams for the last decade were drawing 55, 58 tops. Uh, there were a lot of games where there were 45, 48 out of 300,000 in the city. And by the way, most of those fans that were at the game came from other areas in the metro area of 2.8 million. So I, I really don't think it's going to be that difficult to find – well, is it, first of all, is it going to be easy to find a, a jury of the peers of 32 billionaires? No, that's not going to be easy. But I do think that they'll be able to find 32 jurors that aren't emotionally attached to this case. I, I, do, I don't think it'll be as difficult as we would make it out to be. Yeah, they have a process called voir dire, voir dire, in which the judge can screen out potential jurors for bias. That happened uh, when the NFL was sued in the uh, city of Oakland case back in the early 1980s. The National Football League tried to get the trial uh, you know, moved out of Los Angeles, and the judge denied the motion to transfer venue because the judge had the ability uh, to screen out jurors for bias through this extensive 48-page questionnaire, and then each side would get a number of challenges to strike potential jurors. This happens over and over in a lot of cases in which there are, you know, cities or, or local governments as plaintiffs. This is not a tall task, and I think we maybe overinflate the importance of sports and think that the entire jury pool in the city of St. Louis is following this case so closely, a case that didn't really get that much attention until recently. And, you know, all the research that I've done on changes of venue for trial, those happen in criminal cases far more regularly than that happens in civil cases. In fact, I found 63 cases where motions like that were filed, 62 of them were in criminal cases. So I think this notion of having, you know, St. Louis Rams, former St. Louis Rams season ticket holders populating the jury is so far-fetched and can be easily guarded against through, uh, you know, questioning during the voir dire and, and an extensive written questionnaire. And I think that process is going to be utilized in this trial to ensure that there is at least an impartial jury, as impartial as you could possibly get, I guess. Well, I think the NFL screwed itself here because the NFL said they weren't getting support for the Rams. That was the, <laughs> the impetus to move them in the first place. So how are you going to have uh, not be able to find 12 people to serve on a jury in a city that supposedly didn't support the team to begin with? It's a, it's a ludicrous notion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an oxymoronic statement if there ever was one for them to say, like Randy had stated earlier, uh, you know, we had no support here, so we had to leave. That's what our whole reasoning of why it was that we left. And then to now sit there and say, well, you know, uh, we just there's no way that we could find anybody that's not going to just want to basically more or less politically cut our throat at this point because it's just they hate us so bad and for what we did. The reality is it's it, – it's completely unrealistic in an area of 300,000 people that you can't find 15 people that just say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I knew the Rams were here, but, you know, I was busy working or I was busy doing, you know, maybe I was had little kids at the time or whatever the case was. I mean, there's definitely people that you could find 
in the city core that can stand on this jury that can be impartial. And I think that there's, there's a lot of news sources, especially nationally that are talking about that to a certain extent to kind of blow that out of proportion and say, Oh, well, you know, there's no way that they're going to get an impartial jury in the city. I don't buy that. Um, just, just to add, right. It, this is not just biased with respect to being a Rams fan. We've talked about it, right? If there's a billion dollar judgment to the city of St. Louis, to the County of St. Louis, where does that money go? It goes into the economy, which stands to benefit uh, non-sports fans. So, you know, I, I understand that not everyone's a football fan. I put these polls up. You know, not everyone on Twitter is a football fan or a sports fan. You know, maybe it's a heavier percentage. But uh, you live in the city of St. Louis. You're getting a mailing card because of where you live. Uh, that money uh, is going to go towards the economy. So there's also an implicit bias in that. Now, to Dan's point, right, and this is, you know, for people worried that, you know, the NFL might win on appeal. Uh, it's, it's not a technically an appeal. It's at the Court of Appeals. Um, but the question of this writ of prohibition, Dan pointed out he found 63 cases, you know, found a ton of cases. Dan's our appellate lawyer over here and essentially said, yeah, you could have bias, but bias, you know, like we're talking about in a barroom or sports talk radio is a lot different than legal bias, that it has to rise to a certain level. So, you know, I think, uh, and I'll, I'll give it to you, Dan, yeah, you, you don't think that this, uh, this challenge is going to be successful. You think this case is going to be heard in St. Louis? Zero chance. And I want to speak to the issue of the indirect benefit that would be enjoyed by taxpayers in St. Louis by virtue of the fact that the city county or state treasuries get some part of the judgment. The Ninth Circuit in the Oakland Raiders case addressed this point head on and citing United States Supreme Court president said that an immeasurable and seemingly insignificant economic benefit to a taxpayer does not suffice to disqualify him or her as a juror. So I don't think that's an argument that's going to gain any traction. What really is the heart of the NFL's motion to transfer venue is the significance of the adverse pretrial publicity and how prejudicial that is. And this is not a story that has been, you know, page one in the St. Louis newspapers. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, you're in the market. But I don't think this has just been, you know, headline material day after day after day, other than insofar as it reports factual information. Uh, and, and I think there's a big difference between news reporting and adverse prejudicial pretrial publicity based upon opinions and editorials. And I, I just haven't seen that here. Um, so, Dan, 100 percent. I think uh, we've reached a point where I want to just give people enough room to give their their final thoughts. We've got a ton of great questions. Shout out to my friend Dan S. in the chat. Great first name. I think uh, Dan and I can agree <laughs> on that. Um, so Dan agrees with me that there is also the people that, uh, you know, could, uh, could potentially benefit from the local economy, but Dan points out, yeah, it's not enough. Dan said 0% chance. And when Dan makes predictions with hundred percent or 0%, Dan Wallach is not wrong. Okay. So, um, Randy, I'm going to give it to you for uh, the first shot at this, your overall thoughts, uh, on where this goes from here, wherever you want to take it. Um, you know, uh, something that we haven't spoke about, wherever you want to go with it. Well, uh, pre-trial work continues and you lawyers, will understand uh, the, the attorneys in this case are preparing for motion in limine, which is something that I just learned about, which would mm -hmm. be excluding some evidence. Uh, and they're trying to figure out what they'll ask for in that regard. And they're set on this thing going to trial. As I said uh, off the top, I think the most salient thing that I can point, here, point to here is that uh, they do not want to settle before a trial. And if there is any settlement, I would think that it would be after a jury makes its decision because they do want it on the official record that the NFL, for lack of a better term, did St. Louis wrong, 
by coming to St. Louis saying, here's what you need to do to stay an NFL city. St. Louis does it, has an actionable stadium plan that actually is going to, they're going to break ground on that stadium eight days after the vote. And then the rug is pulled out from under uh, St. Louis. And uh, I also want to go back to uh, the, the timeline here because the timeline is very important. And uh, everything that St. Louis needs was provided by Kevin Demoff in his speech to his classmates at Harvard-Westlake High School in L.A. after the team moved out there. And all St. Louis needs to do, correct me if I'm wrong, attorneys, is prove that there was fraud involved and that the league lied. And they'll be able to do that just by showing videos in the courtroom. So I think there is a lot of positives to look forward to. But as we all know, the NFL is going to delay and they're going to try to obfuscate the, the, the facts here. It's not going to be easy, but I, I feel pretty good. And I do, as far as an appeal is concerned, being in the courtroom, I know it sounds like Judge McGraw is against the NFL, but I get the sense that he's calling balls and strikes here. I don't think that Judge McGraw wants this thing to be turned over on appeal. And I think that he's really crossing his T's and dotting his I's as he deals with these attorneys. Okay, uh, Derek, I'll give it to you. Uh, wherever you want to take it, with your final thoughts. Well, you know, my final thoughts are the same as any other fan that's out there, anybody that's loved and lost and been through 1987-88, you know, been through the 93 debacle uh, that went through the exodus of the Rams back to the L.A. market. I want to say to all of you guys out there and gals, um, don't be downtrodden about one day there's information that comes out and, well, hey, then the next day something else might come out. Keep your head up. Stay positive. Because irregardless of whatever happens here, this is a moment in time that we're going to be able to talk about 10, 20, 30 years down the road, God willing, that we'll be able to say, you know what? Nobody else has been able to play gotcha with the NFL like St. Louis did. And, buddy, they got them. And they've got them now locked and loaded. As, as the, the great late macho man Randy Savage once said, <laughs> I'm locked and loaded and I got you in my sights. And it, the, I, the I, thing I, is – I thought you were going to say the, the cream rises to the top and you were going to pull a little creamer out of your shirt. There. Well, unfortunately, I'm not that talented. <laughs> I don't have the sleight of hand for the magician work like the macho man did. But I, I just want to stress that, yes, it's, it's awesome that fans are out there, that they're excited about this, that they want a team. I think that's amazing. I think that's great. I'm a thousand percent behind you. But do not just turn your nose up at any potential possibility that St. Louis could come out of the winning side on this thing, on, on a very large winning side. And then to top it all off, to put the cherry on top of the ice cream to say, hey, guess what? Even at the end of the day, if we don't get a team and we do get a big judgment and we air all this dirty laundry, as Don Henley once had in a great musical interlude, I'm going to tell you, this is going to set a precedent for all of the other municipalities, all the other cities, everybody that suffered, fought, won, lost, everything else in between. Don't um, let oh. that down. So, uh, shout out to Macho Man Randy Savage, former St. Louis Cardinals pitcher. Um, and Derek, you were a uh, catcher. Catcher? 
His catcher. catcher. Yeah. That's what that's what I said. I said catcher. You heard pitcher, but that was wrong. Um, so, uh, uh, Derek, you really should have ended that with "Oh yeah," but you know, I'll, I'll let you pass. Oh yeah. Okay, uh, Ben. <laughs> ben, send send us home, and then uh, Dan and I will get the uh, the last words here. Well, I don't have uh, you know I don't have any wrestling anecdotes to add here, but uh, I'll say I'm coming at this from a different angle. I'm coming at this from the league side of the house. So some of the things I may say may uh, may, may irritate the St. Louis side of the house a little bit. But rest assured, I'm, at, I'm pulling for you guys. I just I've got a different view. I've got a different lens on this. And and what I'll say is this: is if the NFL is not going to admit fault, they're going to do everything in their power to admit fault. Uh, and you can look no further than the, the emails that's going on right now. The hottest story in sports right now is this email thing. You're never going to see the the Washington football team in investigation you're never going to see those emails they will never see the light of day and the nfl will do everything within its power to make sure that internal operations and internal memorandums never see the light of day because that's what they do um that said i do think that they're going to settle uh and i do think they're going to put a strong settlement offer in front of st louis whether or not you guys take that is or try to take them to court i think is up to you um i, I do believe that st louis has a, a wild card in its pocket in that it proved the economic viability of football through the xfl uh and that's something nobody has really kind of considered uh with some of the stuff that's going on right now i know from league sources that that's something that they're concerned about is you know that, that a lot of these things that they put out there can be easily countered with things like that so um, but in, in the end, I, th I do think this will wind up being a settlement between the, the you know, the, uh, the league and the, uh, and the plaintiffs. And I, I do think that, uh, uh, that everybody will be better for it. I'm hoping St. Louis gets football if that's what they want. I'm hoping they get money if they don't. Uh, I hope it's resolved to their satisfaction because you guys were bamboozled out of a football team. But uh, in the end, getting the league to admit fault shouldn't be your goal. Um, getting what you want should be because I don't think you're going to get the league to admit fault unless they're forced to. Uh, well said, and we didn't bring up the XFL point. It's a very, uh, it's a very good one uh, to, to close on. Okay, uh, you guys were fantastic. Dan, uh, parting thoughts? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, there's going to be risk here on, on both sides. I mean, we all know and expect that the St. Louis, St. Louis jury is going to return a plaintiff's verdict. I can't imagine these 12 jurors walking around the city of St. Louis uh, with a defense verdict and, you know, in, in, in the city. Uh, alive. Alive yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and remaining uh, alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this, you know, I think the practical reality here is that the NFL is walking into a hornet's nest, but ultimately the city has to make an assessment as to whether they want to roll the dice on, on, on losing an appeal because there are two really important appellate issues that will later be decided by the Missouri Court of Appeals or Missouri Supreme Court. This issue of whether the relocation policy can be sued upon. Uh, while there are some factual issues around that, uh, uh, defeat can ultimately emerge from a, a jury verdict in favor of St. Louis if an appellate court reverses it. And the lion's share of the damages in this case emanate from the, 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 the relocation policy. There's an unjust enrichment and a breach of contract claim, and those claims seek the disgorgement of the relocation fee and the increased value of the Rams franchise. That's the heart of the damage claim. And if there's no relocation policy, that can be sued on, then there are no disgorgement remedies and the city will be left with just a fraud claim in which they'll recover $20 million, you know, in the, in the expenditures that the city made, plus maybe punitive damages. So it's a real high risk game for both sides for the NFL to walk into a jury trial with the high probability of being on the losing end of a billion dollar plus verdict and the city of St. Louis possibly having that verdict gutted on appeal because of the critical appellate issues over whether the relocation policy is a contract 
and, and even if it is a contract, whether the disgorgement remedy is a viable measure of damages. So there's a lot of risk on both sides, which is why I think the case settles pretrial, especially when you think about the Super Bowl being played in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. This is going to be an eight-week trial. I just can't see any set of circumstances where the, where the NFL wants to go into trial with, with the Super Bowl in L.A. as the backdrop and the prospect of a billion-dollar adverse judgment. Just no way. I would be shocked if this doesn't settle pr prior to trial. I hope it goes to trial, but, you know, the realist in me and the, you know, you know so, so, so somebody who looks at this objectively f sees there as being a room for compromise, and I think the compromise will occur, you know, on the courthouse steps or at least prior to trial. Um, and I think in just closing, Dan, just to echo that, um, independent of this case, right, if you guys don't pay attention to law other than this case, 99.99% of cases settle. Some of them settle pre-suit. Some of them settle before the first deposition is told. Some of them settle right at the end of discovery before summary judgment. And then some of them settle in the courthouse steps right before trial. Those are your big four you know, decision points in the case. You've blown through the first three uh, or four, whatever way you want to phrase it. The last one is the courthouse steps. Obviously, some will settle on, on appeal afterwards, but the trial is the real spectacle here. And that's why Dan and I are, are so excited for this case, the spectacle of a public trial, public testimony from NFL owners doesn't happen. It just certainly just, just doesn't happen. Now, will, will the courtroom be open, be closed? But that's what the NFL wants to avoid, that type of nightmare. Could we see a trial happening? Sure. But there, there's the statistics. 99.9% of cases settle uh, for a reason. Just they don't want to take that risk. There's usually a number to meet at in the middle. Um, guys, uh, all around, guys, gals, it was certainly a pleasure having everyone. Uh, we had a fantastic turnout. Um, we're going to continue to cover this story early and often. We've covered the John Gruden stuff extensively in our last podcast, the NLRB college sports memo. But, uh, you know, this the story uh, we basically hit on every single podcast in some way, shape or form uh, the last five or six. So, um, yeah, uh, that's really it. Um, you know, uh, Derek is at Derek King Sports. Ben is at Albright uh, NFL. Dan Wallach's at Wallach Legal. Myself at Sports All Lust. Our show is called Conduct Detrimental, obviously the podcast and the website. Now, a shameless plug here. We have some journalists that write for our website, non-lawyers that want to cover this story. And I have a couple of them doing it. To the extent that you want to write, we allow anyone to publish. As long as it's about sports law, you know, we can curse and this is our show. We don't give a flying, uh, no, I wasn't going to curse, Dan. I, I saw you, you're nervous over here. We don't care. If you want to write about this and you want to get your voices out, we, we will publish it. We are happy to be at the forefront of the story and we want to cover it as much as we possibly can. So that's our uh, thing. If you want to reach out to us, just hit us up on social. We'll set you up on the website. And uh, yeah, it's good exposure for the case. Good exposure for you if you have any writing chops. Um, yeah, guys, anything else before we close it? It was great meeting our panelists. Randy, I don't think we've met before. I'll see everybody in St. Louis on January 10th, hopefully. Um, awesome, guys. Uh, okay, excellent, guys. Have a great night, and uh, thanks, everyone, for coming out. Absolutely. Guys, take care. Thank you. So uh, that was panel number two. That will end our illustrious town hall. Just, you know, two hours later, that obviously flew by. If you're listening to this part of the podcast, we made it. We made it. About seven-plus hours of Rams content now in this podcast. We're going to continue to hit this lawsuit early and often. Um, you know, for, for our purposes, Dan mentioned it on the on the you know panel. We don't really want this case to settle. I don't think St. Louis does either. I think they want their their pint of blood, right? I and for our purposes, we love covering this. This is this fantastic lawsuit that hits on so many different elements of the law, and we can teach people about the law just through sports, right? 
I'm not some uh, Kool-Aid drinking dude over here, but I, I like people to learn about the law. I think everyone's a little bit smarter, you know, knowing about the law, knowing about this type of stuff. Mike, your thoughts on the panel? I thought it was fantastic. I mean, an interesting area that we kind of talked about is the fact that I think, I think Randy brought it up, you know, St. Louis, you know, the owners, the Kronk family, they wanted the Rams out of St. Louis for the reason that they they didn't believe that they had a fan base here. And now we've come full circle and they have a lawsuit here and they tried to get the case removed out of the jurisdiction because they don't want St. Louis fans being on the jury. I mean, it's, it, it was an interesting argument that they were kind of going back and forth. And I also have to agree with all of them because you've got no coverage on this, no national coverage. I mean, we have very surface level national coverage that we've kind of seen only after our podcast has been covering, obviously all of them being from St. Louis, they cover it on a, on a daily basis, but I, I thought it was a, a really, really great podcast, seven hours, listen to it all. And you'll have the full, full depth of knowledge. Don't they say Mike on NFL red zone, seven hours of commercial free coverage, right? Isn't that the line we just gave you here? Seven hours of commercial-free podcasts uh, and town halls on the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit. Obviously, we sprinkled in some uh, Urban Meyer stuff, some John Gruden stuff, which will continue to hit, but the St. Louis Rams case is not going away. But we did mention it was commercial-free, other than the fact that this podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review, the top bar review prep company in the world. If you are a 1L and you have no idea what bar prep companies are, you, you might hear someone say, hey, I use this company, I use that company. Do not listen to them. Use Themis Bar Review, and anyone that tells you otherwise, I want you to give them a really dirty look. And I don't want you to ever talk to them again because that person has no idea what they're talking about. Demus Bar Review, top bar prep company, uh, and has the conduct detrimental seal of approval because they listen to the show and they support all things that we do. So, Mike, that's really it. Uh, you know, we could keep talking forever. That We had two hours of content. Um, the one funny note, which you and I kind of mentioned, we did have a Zoom bomber in the first panel, Minnesota Vikings fan. We had two Zoom bombers that were pretending to be Ben Albright. You heard some of the comments. They had some kind of illicit pictures they put up, um, which we were not thrilled with, but we got them out. We kicked them out as soon as we saw it. And uh, for our next panel, you know, we, we, we live and we learn. It's our second event ever. Huge turnout and certainly more to come. Maybe, maybe we're on the ground in St. Louis before you know it. Maybe we're in the ground in the Super Bowl, Radio Row. Maybe that's even possible. Uh, Mike, anything to add before we put this in the books? Oh, nothing. Okay. Uh, I'm Dan Lust. I'm at Sports All Lust. Mike is at Mike underscore son of underscore law. Dan is at Wallach legal the show is at con detrimental our website conduct detrimental.com if you made it through these two podcasts you know what you could do for us it would be really great you go to itunes right or, or spotify wherever you want leave us a five-star review and just tell us how appreciative you are of our, our content it really helps spread the word of what we're doing if you want this lawsuit to get out to the masses uh get our podcast to the top of we're, we're at the top of the sports law charts but i'll take us moving up a little bit higher in the sports charts that would really mean a lot obviously everything we do here uh, is free. We just do it for fun. We're full-time attorneys here. All of us, myself, Mike, uh, and Dan, all full-time attorneys. So, uh, you know, any, any, uh, you know, the five-star reviews will certainly go, go a very, very long way for everyone here at Conduct Detrimental. We will see you next week on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.